Village of the Damned. Village of the Damned. What if there was a Village of the Damned? What if? Are you struggling with the quotes here, Griff? Uh, yeah. It's got a good tagline. It does, but I mean, is it a... It's short. Yeah. Um... You got this. You got this. I don't know if you got this. Mm, you might not. I don't know. Uh, give me one second. Beware the stare that will paralyze the will of the world. That was the tagline for the original. Yeah, I'm just going to fucking say the thing. Just do it. Yeah. Beware the podcast. I don't know. This fucking... There's no <laughs> hot lines in this one, right? The quotes are so goddamn bad. It's, it's just a lot of people having sort of reasonable conversations. I mean, Maybe I'll, something creepy the kids wait, say. The janitor, what what does he say? That's I'll, a great I'll little I'll tell you moment. what he says. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fit into the fucking format. My very precise format. Uh uh-huh. what, what what's his line here? Well, ain't you going to do something? You're just going to cry like all the other little pissants. Do something, <laughs> goddammit. I know you're game. He had some energy. I know what you're up to. Ever since you got here, I've been watching. Watching people leave this town. Wow. Watching things die. Maybe I do that. Okay, ready? I mean, Go all ahead. this stays in, but I'm just going to do yeah. this. Okay. Sure. Blank check with Griffin and David. I know your game. I know what you're up to. Ever since you got here, I've been podcasting. Podcasting people leave this town. Podcasting things die. You ain't right. None of you. One of these days, someone's going to podcast something about it. Okay, so you, you, yeah, that was good. You kind of you kind of peppered in some words there. <laughs> I peppered in some words. I don't know. I don't know. I love this... that guy's energy. No. That was that, was that guy, yeah. you know. Because this whole movie, I was just like, why isn't everyone just screaming all the time? Everyone's just kind of like, eh, well, what are you going to do? You know how on, like, Last of the Mohicans, they hired Wes Studi to be an actor? And, like, New World, I know, did this, too. You, like, hire Wes Studi to be an actor, but you also hire him to be, like, a consultant and a coach. And you're like, he's going to work with everyone and make sure they get the details right. Sure. They should have had the janitor work that way as, like, an energy consultant. It's right. Just come on. Look at this hey, guy. Kirsty, go bigger. I don't think Kirsty can go bigger. Put some fucking life into this, Kirsty. <laughs> you think Kirsty can go bigger? Kirsty chain smokes throughout the entire movie. You know what? You're if right. She would bigger. She'd be. She'd be holding like a gigantic cigar the size of a baby's forearm. You're right. You're right. Kirsty's maybe the only <laughs> other actor in this movie who's giving it the right amount of energy. She just has bad judgment. Wait, but that would be fun if she had a cigar the size of a baby's arm. <laughs> she should. And if like she a, lit a cigar. it and it exploded in her face at one point. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys know this? The fucking Jungle Cruise thing with Giamatti. David hates when I bring up the movie Jungle Cruise. You but keep I ha- bringing up this movie that no one remembers. It doesn't exist. All right, what about Giamatti? Uh, $120 million domestic, something like that. One of our only hits. One of our only hits. Um, 
So they like, Giamatti is the fucking best part of that movie. I don't know if you saw that movie, Amy. Of course I saw that movie. You mean the, the movie where two thirds of the way through the rock looks at the camera and says, by the way, I'm a mortal. Absolutely. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, correct. Correct. Spoilers. Giamatti uh, is the best part of that movie. And you don't understand why he isn't the main antagonist and why he doesn't have more to do when considering what he's fucking giving them and how much fun that character is. And it turns out the rock went to Giamatti because I guess they've done two movies together. They did. They did San Andreas. He's in San Andreas. Right. right. Yeah. Ugh. San Andreas is a worse movie. Yes. Wow. I think that's true. Yes. It's yes. boring. It's very boring. But um, they were like, we have this role. We need like someone to be like the rock impersonates him and he owns the boat. And it's just like, we don't have anything here. Can you come in? You have carte blanche. You could do anything you want. We like haven't really written a character. You could do anything you want. So Giamatti's like, hmm, let me think it over. And his negotiation was he went back to Disney and he was like, I want a monkey that sits on my shoulder and lights my cigars. <laughs> what you're saying is our movie of the day, if it had a monkey that was lighting Kirstie Alley's yes. baby forearm shaped cigars. Right. Five stars is, right. is what Griffin is saying. Yeah, because that was that was Paul Giamatti's initial instinct for the character. And that shows you what a canny actor he is. He understood exactly what that movie needed. Of course, Disney said no cigars allowed. Monkeys are difficult to work with. We'll, we'll <laughs> give you a fucking cockatoo. And that was that was the settlement. We'll um, give you a fucking cockatoo. I mean, I want to get married and divorced just so my husband can say, we'll give you a fucking cockatoo. I'll give you a fucking cockatoo. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Jesse Plemons' character is actually based on a real person, on the Kaiser's yes. actual son? Yep. How mean is, is that? Is that true? Yep. Yeah. There's a real, you could, he has a whole Wikipedia page, the real guy that Jesse Plemons is playing. And they were just like, fuck him. He'll just yeah. be in our movie. <laughs> just They're just be. like, fuck it. Yeah. You were a real guy. You lived and died. Your ancestors are probably still here. Whatever. You're you're a mean old Nazi. We're going to make like pre-Nazi. He's okay, just a mean old member of the German Empire. <laughs> Pre-Nazi. What, what a weird movie, but also not weird enough. Jungle it's Cruise. in such a weird balance of, of kind of the exact wrong amount of weirdness. Should be silly is sometimes silly, but not serious. Uh, not silly enough. This is the problem with all Disney movies now, though. They all have to be important for some reason. You know? Well, they've all got to teach you about, like, life lessons and feminism. Right, exactly. Well, it all has pants. to be about STEM or whatever. She wears pants. Back in the day, you know, a, a master of horror could just be like, look, I'll, I'll do your remake, but can we just shoot it in, like, my house? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's okay. No one has to like really bring any energy. It's fine. We'll get it done quickly. Wait, I, I see what you're doing, Sims. What you're doing is you're trying to put like a magic jungle cruise lasso around Griffin and make him talk about today's film. Correct. Yeah, I, I Correct. am. But I mean, I more just want us to stop talking about jungle cruise. I think that movie is like infected Griffin's brain or something. There's something wrong. Yeah. David is acting like Proxima, the giant jungle cat. Creating a distraction, <laughs> refocusing no our way. attention to the movie at hand. That's a There's no way I remember that. <laughs> Proxima, the giant jungle cat, of course. Yeah, okay. Because uh, The Rock's character, Frank. Frank, what a guy. You say that with a lot of conviction. Right. He, uh, he keeps on getting cats. He has giant jungle cats, and he is immortal, and he lives for thousands of years, and he keeps on getting new cats when the last cat dies and names them all Proxima. That's real. That is real. I get it. It's like Proxima, the, the next one. Okay. All right. What do you think well, he does with all the bodies? 
Like Eat they're some. pretty big. I mean, that's like a big um, pet um, cemetery. Um, 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 um. <laughs> chow, chow, chow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think is part of like the Rock's high protein diet? Yes, that's his cheat day. His cheat day yeah. is he eats a proxima. He eats a, a yeah. jaguar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Normal days he eats like what? 30 cod fillets? <sighs> no, yeah. He, he fucking he, loves pancakes he like and a... tequila. Right? Isn't that? He always posts the picture of him with like a stack of 80, but like a fucking Forrest McNeil stack of pancakes. The pancakes are made out of cod. They're just refashioned. They're pounded flat, dyed brown. Just, his life seems so joyless. That's what we. That's why you're fascinated with him. You're, because he seems so tired and unhappy as he's like, mmm, pancakes. Yeah. Whatever. He's our next president. He's probably the only hope we have of stopping whatever, Donald Trump or something. Gonna have to talk myself into the rock someday. In the future, you're not gonna be able to get elected president unless you've done at least three seasons on NBC. Right. <laughs> and, and Trump broke that and the rock was like, I gotta get on fucking NBC. I got to do a show that's explicitly about me running for president. Well, that's great news for Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley could be who we're going to talk about today. 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 Thank you, Amy. Thank you. I'm just here being your woman in pants, getting shit done. Swinging it back around because Veronica's Closet, that was that was on NBC, too. That's out of sure. Village of the Damned. She jumps from the village to the closet. Interesting. Is this sort of the end of her movie? Her movie career? Well, run? I mean, for you Richard have... Poor, it takes well, she's two. got Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, sure. That's, but it's which, definitely which after fun. the height. Yeah. And that's sort of an ensemble. She came out. She did Look Who's Talking. And that was basically, I think, it really. That kind of like rubber stamped her whole movie career. Well, she did the trilogy. She got a trilogy. She pulled down a quick she trilogy. She did the trilogy. And then, God, I forgot she did an Olsen Twins movie. That's what I was saying. It takes two. Right. What year is it takes yeah. two? Is that before? That after is this? 1995. It's the same year as this. Okay. Uh, I, I just remember in For Richer or Poor, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where Kirstie Alley's like, this is just witness. We're just doing witness. And yeah. Tim Allen's like, yeah, I know. Like, they were like, you know what? We'll just acknowledge it. We'll just have someone say that out loud. Tim Allen's like, yeah, that was the pitch. You don't remember? <laughs> you were there at the meeting. Um, uh, I mean, listen, I have a feeling that today we're going to do some ragging on Kirstie Alley, which I, I do believe she deserves. But I think we should say that the movie we're about to talk about, in which she is more or less atrocious, does take place between her second and third Emmy. She is an Emmy award-winning actor. She has more Emmys than any of us do, even if we all won an Emmy each. That's correct. That's How, correct, she unfortunately. Has, she has two Emmys? Two Emmys. Wow, good for her. Both for Cheers, I'm assuming. No. No. One's for no. something called David's Mother. What the David's hell is mother? this? Is that TV movie? Oh, it's a single mother raising an autistic boy mm. drama. Sounds profound. Sam it Sam Waterston, Stalker Channing. Hmm? It was a TV movie, right? This is not a TV series. movie. This okay. is a best actress in a limited series or special. And then she got a nomination for The Last Dawn. That's one of those sort of, that was the, what's it called? Uh, Danny Aiello? As Gobster drama. No, no, no. Oh, it was the it's just okay. another like mobster thing. And then she got an Emmy nomination for Veronica's Closet. That was it. Wow. Yeah. That was her last so Emmy nomination. What is that? That's like, how many Emmy nominations is that total? That's She fair. got, well, you got those three plus five for Cheers, so eight total. Wow. She got how, five consecutive nominations for that's Cheers. That's amazing. Every, every year, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How many Emmy nominations do you have, David? 
Oh boy. Uh, let me just plug my name into IMDb <laughs> here. I am <laughs> I am the top result. Not seeing any Emmy noms mm. for old Davey <laughs> yet. Mm. Haven't gotten any noms. No, that's so. Zero. She's 8-0 on me. Yeah, that's embarrassing, David, because meanwhile, I'll type my name into IMDb <laughs> and it auto-completed negative nominations. Negative. Uh, <laughs> she also, I'm not seeing any Golden Raspberry nomination. So oh, that's she's avoided the Raz. Yeah. Right. She never that's got a, a stinker. I think this movie got razzed. Did it not? Wait, wait. It's saying here I have an Emmy. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, congrats. What for? Pro- Producer Ben, what was your Emmy for? Oh, um, I'm seeing here it was for the new season of Gossip Girl. Uh-huh. Oh, of course. You're, You're so good it? on that. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, the, this movie. Griff was nominated for a Razzie for worst remake or sequel. Okay. Um, it lost to the Scarlet Letter, which I think oh, that's sure. a little stupid because I'm sure that had been made before, but that wasn't really a remake. No, but that movie was like so hate. That's the thing. They were just so excited to to jab it. Well, that's the thing about the Razzies. The Razzies are a group of real jerks. The Razzies are like the mean kids from theater camp who like invented a way to have power bad taste i'll go i'll go i will rag on the razzies forever i mean wait i, I feel like i've even ragged on the razzies around you Griffin, let's do probably. it again like, probably yeah let's fucking razz the razzies let's do it i went to the razzies did you know that you can go to the razzies i knew that, like, they, they had, had a, a dinner razzie ceremony right. yeah i went to a razzie ceremony i went like right really? after yeah i went right after i went to um the indie spirits. So it was like my day of like highbrow, lowbrow. Right. Because they usually do it the day before the Oscars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the Razzies, it's really like nine nerds who <laughs> like get up and do skits in between each each award. And it's just the same nine nerds. It's like a really bad version of like SCTV or something where they're like, and now we do a lampoon. But their lampoons are all much worse than everything they're already making fun of. And you get the sense they didn't even watch any of them. They're very compelling performers, probably, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's just weird. It really feels like people who got pitchforks for the first time and they're so excited. Yeah. What year do you you remember? remember? Yeah. Which which Razzies you attended? What year? I think I was in the Razzies at, it was 2016, I believe. So it looks like your your big movie that year. You see, this is the problem with the It was a Twilight year? No, it's one of those like Dinesh D'Souza years. Oh, where oh, they it like was, uh, 2016. No, no, it would have been America. Imagine the world without her. It's Hillary's America secret. Okay, it was a different one. Okay. Oh wait, no, Ma- wait. Maybe I was there in 2017. Where that would the- be the the Emoji Movie is worst picture. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise won worst actor for the Mummy. Um, I mean, that's kind of deserved. I I love him, but he was pretty bad in that. These picks sound actually decent so far. But also, no, so there was far. a lot of worse actors than that. He, that's just mean, too. He Well, you know, but this is my problem. I think the Razzies now just do not know how to respond to culture at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, whereas back in the day, they were weirdly kind of arbiters of quote-unquote stinkers, even if they were often wrong, right? Sure. But they would kind of gravitate towards whatever the sort of classic stinkers of the 90s were. Like, I'm looking at the Village of the Damned year, and you've got, you know, Showgirls was the, the big winner oh, that sure. year. Scarlet But Letter. then you've got Scarlet Letter, Waterworld, you know, uh, 
Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. Remember that was that was a sort of famously bad movie. Yeah, this is the thing though. It feels like so often it's like vanity projects or female sexuality. Yes, exactly. Those are their two least favorite things, right? They 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 hate fucking big movie star makes big fucking vanity projects starring themselves and they hate erotic thrillers and shit. Yeah, it's anything that makes them feel uncomfortable in their pants in a way they can't explain. Right. So as Griff, you were noting, right, they eventually turned on the Twilight movies. Uh, this year, they're turning on the uh, the Fifty Shades movies are all over this. Right. They also gave like Tyler Perry worst actress for a Medea movie, which feels like moronic on there. Like, who cares? Like, and what? Here's the other thing. He's good in those movies. Like, yeah, his exactly. he's doing what he's doing as Medea is good right he's like I, committed he I, is right. committed he has I, played that yeah. character longer than almost anybody has played any character longer I, than daniel craig was bond absolutely absolutely a a longer number of years b eight times the films <laughs> that character fits him like a yeah. fucking glove he's I, done it on theater he's done it on stage he's done it without a net the safety net of the screen man. it's he's, it's his hamlet he knows that he knows medea he knows medea that's the other thing is like He's good in other people's movies, right? He's good He's as Medea. Occasionally good in other people's movies. Yes, he can be good. He certainly has it has it in him. Yeah, I, I think he's consistently good as Medea. I think Medea. Uh, Medea. Okay, hello. Uh, you say Medea. I say Medea. Yeah. Which one uh, is the classy word? Which one is the Greek one? Is it? Medea well, it's like Medea. it's supposed to be like Mother Dear, right? It's like Medea. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's why oh, it's yeah. like oh, Medea. It's like Milady. Medea. Yeah. Medea. 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 Look, you can call her whatever you want as long as you wish her a good afternoon. The point is that I think he's bad in his own movies when he plays like Joe Normal Guy. I oh, think he can't he's be Joe Normal Guy. Right. I think right. he is in like Alex Cross or whatever. No, no, I'm saying in or, his or, own or in his own movies. He'll play sure, like sure, sure. straight man normal dude because he'll do like three roles in the movie sometimes, or there there will be the ones that where it's just like what what's it called? Good deeds or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. Or what's what's the one where he wore a trench coat and he was a badass? That's Alex Cross, I think. You don't oh, want yeah, to cross, yeah. cross Alex Cross. Cross. Alex Cross. <laughs> don't cross um, Alex but to but to fucking ding him for playing uh Medea. Medea. Dumb. 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 Well, and also, Griffin, listen to these other worst actress nominees from that, from Amy's, the year Amy attended, most likely. Okay. Catherine Heigl in Unforgettable, which that's like one of those crazy ex-girlfriend type movies, right? Yeah, who cares? Mm. Once again, like, they, they hate women's films. Dakota, this is what I'm saying. Dakota Johnson in Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah. Emma Watson that's in The Circle. That's absolutely okay, wrong. She, that's right. That's crazy. Yeah. Emma yeah. Watson in the circle. That's that. I mean, that movie is pretty indefensible. And then Jennifer Lawrence in Mother. And that's the other thing <gasps> I hate about the Razzies. That kind of like, ha, we got you. You were in a flop. Like, you know, that sort of weird kind of jerky, like, oh, Mother didn't do so well, did it? Like, we'll, enjoy we'll hate you your Razzie Dom. Yeah. 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 Where it's just, I mean, who cares? Like, you know, I don't know. Anyway, there's probably no good way to do it. Yeah. There's something really punching down about it even though they're a bunch of nerds punching movie stars they do feel like they they kick you on the way down it's i don't i don't feel like when a bad movie comes out the razzies are like hey let's all go see it and really qualitatively analyze it you know i don't think they get excited when they hear that there's like a notably mo bad movie come out they're not searching for the best of the bad movies i don't even think they watch what they nominate to be honest i by and large think they do not right yeah they they pick their targets and they'll pick like fucking Sandler or Tyler Perry or Stallone for so long or whoever it is. And it's just like automatic nomination every year. 
They'll pick you know? anybody who would have given them a wedgie at prom. Michael Bay. Yes, correct. I will say this, Griffin. I I do think I might have given Village of the Damned a few more Razzie. I would too. I'm sorry. I would too. I, would too. <laughs> I feel to bad. Back into focus because I will say that this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Jeez. Wow. We haven't even introduced them. Uh, yes, I'm David. It's a Carpenter style. The opening credits go on for like 17 minutes and then you go like, oh, we're still, we hadn't gotten to directed by yet. Right. That's a Carpenter thing. We haven't replicated that in the format of our episodes yet. Listen, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. And this is a mini series on the films of John Carpenter. It's called They Podcast. And we're, we're just, we're, we're bouncing. We're bouncing to the finish line now, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. you know, as good a run as we've ever covered on this show, the only argument I feel like people have put forward of a, a more consistent decade plus uninterrupted run of movies that we've covered is Miyazaki. Sure. Sure. But I think there's something, uh, no, no, there's something magical about what he's doing because he's not like Miyazaki where like he takes years on every project and it's like, you know, like, no, he's making a movie a year pretty much for 20 years through the 80s and he's much, working yeah. in different genres he's working in very limited budget levels he doesn't have necessarily the same uh sort of like all powerful control it's not his own company he's going between different studios and dealing with all this you know different changing uh uh trends in the industry it's it's kind of just like miraculous what he was able to pull off and then uh you know there's there's like a, a dorian gray painting in his attic that gets hackier and hackier every time he makes another hit. And then uh, somehow the, the things started catching up with him. I don't know. I mean, this, this movie, this movie is very bizarre. It's called children. It's called no. village of the damned. It's not called this is children the fucking, of the I know I get so confused in the village of the damned children of the damned children of the corn thing. I get, Right. Children of the damned is the sequel to the original village of the damned. I've never seen it. They are like, um, they are like good. I've seen the original. Right. Do you know they this? I have not seen the sequel. I watched the original last night. In the in the sequel, they're like a force for good. They're like John Travolta and phenomenon or something. They're sort of like the X Men movies. It's like here's all these kids with like wild powers that we've gathered that come from all over the world. Yeah, right. and we're like putting them together to see like can you use your powers for good? Very bizarre. Yeah, that's Children of the Damned. But what what is um Corn of the Damned? Well, no, Children yeah. of the Corn. Corn of the Damned, I'd corn. like to see. <laughs> I'd like to see Corn of the Damned. Just a movie about some bad corn. Uh, this corn is no good. It's cursed. Um, <laughs> it's um, blue? Here's the thing. Okay, Amy. I, 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 well, wait. Introduce our guest. Jesus. Our guest. Introduce me, man. Our guest. From Unspooled. And, of course, from our Memento episode five years ago. Amy Nicholson, long overdue back on the show. Oh, it's good to be back. That was a wonderful day when we did Memento. It was thunderstorming outside. And then I left you guys and I immediately went to Coney Island and I ate a big hot dog and went on some rides. Wow. Wow. I remember you were going right to Coney. That's right. Yeah, I, I associate you... you guys with beautiful memories. That's Oh, that's nice. Sweet. Well, you and I, we've had like great meals at film festivals. That's I associate you with great meals at film festivals as well, Amy. But anyway. Oh. Anyway, I miss anyway. our meals, but yes, I hi. do. Yes, I mean, I miss all of that. But um, Amy, I 
Now, I'm going to cop to the fact that I, I asked you to be on the show, but by the time I asked you, the Carpenter list was a little picked over. I was Slim presenting pick. you with sort of the 90s dregs of Carpenter. Not that they're all bad movies, obviously, but you know, I was not presenting you with the best of the best. Um, because a few people really? had claimed movies. Was that on <laughs> well, purpose? I'm, Are you no, mad? No, it was me? I'm not mad at you. It's furious at, at all. You. It's just booking a show could be very stressful because yes, people will often just kind of gravitate. You always love the early uh like you ask someone and they're like, Ooh, I want like, you know, X movie nobody ever asks for. Uh but you know, often people will ask for their for kind of the big ones. It's it's a it's a weird puzzle and we don't need to go over this a lot, but this is the thing I when people ask us about like booking sometimes that I just I want to say publicly. We find ourselves often in a very different dealing with different calculations than most movie shows because we have a set order in which episodes need to release. Sure, you know, like if we pick true. a director like Carpenter, it's like, well that's like four and a half months in order. You know? So we're like picking like, who do we want? Is there a good match for them? Sometimes it's reverse engineered of like, right. this person's overdue. Let's find a place for Amy. Sometimes it's, we know this person likes this movie. Can we get them? And then sometimes you look and you're like, oh, these five episodes in a row are like this. Should we have this instead? Right, right. I don't know. We but, fucked I mean, up, well, Amy. You should have been on you five times me, by now. When you offered me the dregs. And I was like, Village of the Damned, a movie that right. I have never seen. That wow. That's what I figured. Kirstie Alley and Christopher Reeve and Mark Hamill. How would I not say yes to this movie? Sure. And then I, I mentioned it to my boyfriend that we were going to do Village of the Damned. And he was like, that's amazing. You look like one of the children of the Village of the Damned. <laughs> wow. And then he yeah. asked, why don't Straw we be them hair, for I Halloween suppose. next year? Yeah. He's like, you should do this. You look, you're blonde and terrifying. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume he said this with love. Yes, I mean, uh, they yeah. have like oh, yeah. white Love. hair. You do not have white hair. No, <laughs> I'm, so I'm only half damned. Yeah, I mean, I will say though that that hair is definitely dyed. I mean, if I had a superpower, it's I can tell who who dyes their blonde hair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think those you know, when kids... you're when you're a natural blonde, you kind of learn these what you these codes. So these guys are definitely bleached. I that's think. Not I think that's this the, the detail I read is that all the children were bleached and then they were sprayed on top of the bleach. So they're not wigs. It's just their hair. I guess, right. Correct. The boys, you I can think tell, the children were right? actually. I mean, they look wigs. like wigs. Why couldn't they just put wigs on them? That's damaging to do to do that to your follicles. Damn. The village da, of the damaging da. hair follicles. Um. So, so that's why you picked it, Amy. That's what I was asking. Like, why did you pick it? But that makes sense. Yeah. So you're just I thought like, I'd come watch on, a film about my ancestors. Sure. <laughs> right. Right. You're you're damned on your father's side, right? <laughs> <laughs> damned on my father's and my mother's. Yeah. Alas. Yeah. Um no, it's it, there's there're just so many bizarre things about this movie. I think I don't know if this is a controversial take, David. This is the carpenter I've liked the least we've covered I don't so far. I think that's that controversial. I would agree with that cuz as much as I don't like Memoirs of an Invisible Man, it's a little more interesting I find it bad in an interesting way I have also I have seen the original multiple times not yeah like two times okay and and I was sort of taken I was like this is going to be different right and I was taken back where I was like no this is just like a very flat pretty straightforward remake like I, yeah there's some changes but yes there's one big change right so I I, I had not seen the original until last night I watched it last night I watched this movie this morning 
the biggest change and what sounds like the biggest impetus for Carpenter making this movie and for also uh, the studios making it, like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers gets remade, Philip Kaufman, late 70s. That movie is a hit and is respected, right? And I think that sort of kickstarts this trend of like, can we take the, Just you know, take not- the old one, do it up again. The blob, right, right Griff? Right, right. Uh, they sort remade of, the blob around now. Right, modern Reagan era, post, you know. There was that like, Abel Ferrara body snatchers, which I've never right, seen. Right, right. And then yeah, I guess. But like the 70s body snatchers is better than the original. So there's a way of making it better. That's, and I believe that y'all covered a little movie called The Thing. I was about to say The Thing is better than the original. Right. Yes, th- that's the point. I, I think the breakthrough of Invasion of the Body Snatchers is that it was better. And they were like, oh, fuck, you can actually like do something here and you can adjust it for a new political climate and effects and lack of censorship. You and could whatever. or you, you could <laughs> not or you could totally not just like John Carpenter. I mean, the thing is an example of doing it correctly, but was obviously hated and a giant flop at the time. They had been developing uh, internally at Universal trying to make a children of the damned uh, village of the damned, excuse me. Uh, movie for a while and he had this deal with Universal and it, he was just sort of like I don't know why not I like that movie a lot feels like a no brainer it does but here's it's like what he's not realizing or maybe not caring about is I just feel like it's kind of a movie that needs to be at like British tea drinking level energy right Which like is what it, the first movie gets so goddamn right Right, because like the kids are not going to be running up the walls or like shooting laser no. beams at you. Like, so it's going to be a fairly chill film. And I feel like he just doesn't quite, you know, it's impossible for a 90s horror movie to be that sedate and feel like it's intentional. Like, so now, so instead it just kind of feels asleep. Well, right off the bat, I, I guess this opinion I'm trying to front load here is that like the biggest difference between this and the original film is that there were such restrictions on what you could talk about in terms of uh, reproduction. You're talking about Schmismorschen. Schmismorschen. <laughs> but also, too, you, right? you were not allowed to say the word pregnant in a movie. You know, That's like, true. beyond abortion, there was just like, obviously, you can't even, like, touch that as a subject or allude to it, but you can't really even represent pregnancy on screen or delivery or any of those sorts of things. I think you're right. First... Or you're right. Like how in Psycho, you couldn't even show a toilet until literally Hitchcock was like, here's my movie with a toilet. Right. I think internally at Universal, that was their big argument for why to do Village of the Damned again is just like, well, there's all this shit that's in the book that they couldn't put in the movie that they sort of have to talk around or just like cut forward. You don't really see any of that stuff in between the blackout and the kids. Right. And that's sort of an interesting period. I think the third first 30 minutes of this movie are relatively solid i think i don't know if it's just because i'm watching these two films within 12 hours of each other but when the first 30 minutes are so different than the original because you're seeing all these things that could not be put on screen i was kind of into it and then once the kids are born i just was like well now this just this is the shittier version of the thing i watched well, okay, there's so much to talk about in what you're saying, you know, because like the original book that you're talking about, you know, The Midwitch Cuckoos. Great uh, title. That, well, great great title. title. You know, that book was, I mean, that book was like, I'll just start by saying like worshipped by Margaret Atwood. You know, like yeah. Yeah. Margaret Atwood was like amazing. Here's a great book that's like chilling and scary. 
And it gets into things about like female choices in your life, choices that aren't that don't really even feel like choices because you're kind of pressured by society to like have these kids, you know, veiled talk about like abortion, like a book that was about like gender dynamics, kind of different responses to like women being forced to bear these children than trying to love them. I mean, to have like Handmaiden's Tale be like, this is a great, scary book. Imagine if that story could be remade today by mm-hmm. somebody like like a Jennifer Kent, you know, of the Bob the yeah. Duke or something. Like, oh, there Amy. is a great story. Amy, here. fuck, that's a good pitch. Oh, Sounds it is, better. Right? Oh, oh fuck, yeah, that's a good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Have, but but Carpenter's not on that vibe, right? He's no, not. It's he's an not. odd fit. I mean, the other quote I found that was really fascinating was he said he saw this movie as a little boy. It really stuck with him. It scared the shit out of him. And he had a big crush on the little girl. Like she was his, he was that age, right? But he was like, that was the first time I had a crush on a movie character. And I'm like, is that the only reason he did this? Is that like, (laughs) not that I think he's sexualizing the children, but that the film has some weird primal imprint on him and he felt drawn to it, even though he didn't have anything to say about it, really? I mean, that's why I still like the movie The Wizard with Fred Savage. Like, you know, because you love Fred Savage. Yeah, you imprint. Well, actually, my first crush in the movie was like the bad guy with the power glove. In the wizard. Yeah, in the wizard. The bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Google that actor because bad things happen. And I regret that crush. But yeah. I don't know if it was literally the first. Oh, no. Is David Googling? Yeah, Yeah, David's absolutely Googling. Are you kidding me? David was Googling before you finished the sentence. Well, luckily, it'll take him a while to figure out the guy's name and then come back to me. Yeah, no idea who the guy's name is. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Let's just not do it then. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. My memory, I mean, maybe there's one before this, but my memory is my first, like, serious movie crush was, uh, I feel like this is a thing of me being a couple years younger than everyone else on this show means no one else will have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about. There was a wonderful world of Disney TV movie called My Date with the President's Daughter, in which Will Will Friedel Friedel from uh, Boy Meets World is like a dork who does magic tricks and he meets a beautiful girl at a mall who he's never seen at high school before and he asks her out and she says yes and then he finds out that's the president's daughter who wants to live a normal life and sneak away from the White House so she can pretend to be a normal teenager for one night and Dabney Coleman is the president and the fucking Dabney Secret Service. Dabney Coleman was your first crush? Dabney Coleman, wow. you, you got there. Hottie. You, you got there, Amy. <laughs> he was like wearing those tight suits and that red tie. But there's like, she's like dressed up like a, you know, fucking Chelsea Clinton or whatever. And there's a scene where he takes her. She's like, let's go somewhere more dangerous. And they go to like a pool hall. And then she goes into the bathroom and comes out and she's changed into like a a quote unquote sexier dress. And she walks out of the bathroom and there's like a slow motion hair flip. And I just have this very distinct memory as like an eight year old or whatever going, oh, I am looking at the most beautiful woman in the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it wasn't even like I have a crush on this person. I was like, she is. She is inarguably. Uh, it looks like her name is beautiful. Elizabeth Harnois. Is She's on one of it? the procedural shows now. Yes. Elizabeth Harnois. She was like my first She's major on crush. CSI. She did a CSI stint. Look, I don't know who my first major crush is. I probably said it on this po- podcast. I just don't have any memories anymore. Uh Lydia, the, the fucking Lydia. Yeah, Probably. Lydia Dietz, but like I was a kid. That was more of a, I guess that counts. Sure. I mean, that's what Carpenter's saying about the little, little right. damn girl. Well, but but here's the weird thing about him having a crush on one of the little damned girls, which is like they all look alike and they've yeah. all got the same hair. So how did he single one out over the I don't the know. Other? It's very 
bizarre. I want to find this quote from him. Do you think he really kind of liked all of them at once, but he didn't want to sound creepy? Yeah, he he was like dipping his toe into poly waters. <laughs> he was like, someday I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be like, Richard Richard Plant? Is it Richard Plant who did Addicted to Love and all those videos with all the identical yeah. girls? Or- yeah. Right. That, wait, no, no. Addicted to Love is Robert Palmer. Ro- right? Robert oh, Palmer. Oh, sorry, Palmer. sorry, Palmer. sorry. I like, sorry. I like conflated him and like Robert Plant. I was very nervous that I was like talking about somebody cool instead of the guy with all the matching mannequins. That, anyway, John Carpenter, that's him. Carpenter saw the original when he was 12 and it stuck in my mind for several reasons. The whole idea of a whole town blacking out was wow. That does feel, that's a Carpenter idea. In and of itself, that's a Carpenter idea. It also speaks to why the first 30 minutes are better than the rest of it. Also, I somehow got this incredible crush on one of the girls in the original. She was the first loved object I had. I wanted her to zap me and take me over. It's a good, it's good Carpenter quote. That's so cute. I mean, imagine you're like, you're 12 years old and you want the girl to zap you and take you over by which like you have to go take her out for a a malted. Right, right. Buy her a candy bar. That's so sweet. Um, I guess, right, there's there's a little more feeling to the, the Thomas Decker's character's alienation, his lack of partner. Maybe that's coming through. But once again, it's just sort of like, no, what an odd match. But we should talk about those opening 30 minutes because I, I also thought they were pretty good. And for a little bit, I got a flutter in my heart like, oh, man, am I going to go on blank, blank check? We're going to talk about a movie that actually... Maybe is pretty good. That was my hope. It's a, I want to hold on to those 30 minutes, you know? The like, fun of like, hey, guys, this movie no one ever talks about. You know, John Carpenter, it's not actually that bad, right? Like the sort of, I found a diamond in the rough here thing. Right. I agree exactly. with you. The first 30 minutes are way more. Basically, this movie kind of has me until the kids this is the moment it completely until lost me. Until you see me. the kids, I think. But well, here's the moment where I truly was like, wait, what? Like, is when Kirstie Alley's just like, yeah, they're not having any uh, abortions. And it's like, why? And she's like, I don't know. And I was just like, wait, that's it? That's the explanation? And then the kids arrive, and then it's like it's dead. Like, as you say, like, yeah. the movie it, is just yeah. dead. Visually, once you see the kids, I, I think he had to fucking reinvent them in some way. But also, like, the more Kirstie Alley... Kirstie Alley is like, like a, a bearer of bad tides in this movie. Like, whenever she comes in, a scene goes off the rails. There's the moment where she's delivering Meredith Salinger's child and she goes like, push, push. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. It's stillborn. And it's like one sentence. Um, it's <laughs> right? so do, weird. Do you remember, like, she's a, there's, a, there's a moment that's like as bizarre as her going like, I don't know. They're just not getting abortions where she's like, OK, keep keep going. Push, push, push. I'm so sorry. It's stillborn. And then they cut. <laughs> Okay, but like, isn't isn't the reason why they don't get abortions because is because Kirstie Alley bribes them, and she's like, if you decide to have these kids, I'm going to give all of you three thousand dollars a month, which huge, is huge. not a yeah, that's significant. Yeah. I mean, today and it's definitely significant in 1995. In 1995, like, yes. If you no, save you're right. up like six months of having a damned baby, you could get like a Dodge Neon. You know, you could. <laughs> You could really amp up your life, which is why I also think it's kind of funny that like they I guess all agree to have babies for the three thousand dollars and then in the next few years of their life that we see like the town looks worse like oh, the yeah. cars seem even more broken everybody's still wearing the same like battered shitty jackets like wherever that three thousand dollars a month is going which should be a fortune i at least want to see people's houses get nicer like if you made this trade-off for cash that idea just gets completely dropped here which i'm i'm very curious about that was i the only one just like three thousand dollars this town should be nicer 
The ice cream you shop should be You think it's like hush. direct cash injections. It Revitalization. Should be yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Where, where's the trickle-down effect from this $3,000 a month? Well, they also have those weird dreams. I I, I read that as part of the thing that, that dissuaded they're, them. That's what I sort of... Right. They're kind that of money. influenced right. oh, by... Like the Enya music video dream? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like... <laughs> Congratulations. If you're pregnant, you can wear a white robe and your hair will blow and you can be on MTV. But this is, I feel like, I know it's again, like, it's just sort of obeying the plot structure of the story and the original movie. But I do kind of agree with Amy almost like, yeah, maybe the pregnancy should be longer. Oh, yeah. And then we should just cut straight to them being grown kids. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you, how you approach this because. The, the biggest problem with the movie is the kids grow up kind of quickly, you know, in movie time. Mm -hmm. And you're just, I was just shouting at the screen where I'm just like, how is no one doing anything about this? Like, right. like it, it just sort of feels weird that they are allowed to reach the age of, how old are they? Like eight? You know, whatever, whatever age sure. they're supposed to I be. Mean, yeah, well, that's a question I had for you guys. Because, like, I think in the book and in the original, they grow faster. They're, like, mm -hmm. nine, but they look 16 or something. I mean, here, are they growing at normal speed? Like, how many years have gone by before the kids are, like, walking and talking? I don't know. The children do seem, en masse, younger in this. I, I, I think they're portrayed yeah, as bit. younger, and the actors are also younger. So you have sort of like weird child actor vibes, uh, where whereas in the original maybe the the actors the kids are more like, well, close to teenage, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't. It, 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 no. The sense of time is is odd to me. It's also, I mean, it's one of these things, David. You you pointed out that what makes the original work so well, and what is probably the approach you need to this material is the sort of British. Uh, tea sipping energy which I, I don't know right. how you know that but um, it, 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 there's something too of the stylization of the kids how they look visually but the energy of which their performances are directed and all of that works in that type of movie right that is a little more uh, mannered and stilted and, and feels like a Twilight Zone episode I mean the, the original movie really has a Twilight Zone vibe and then when you take the exact same look and you put it into a color film in the 1990s with a very different vibe a director has his own sensibility it like it really jars where i i will accept the theatrical convention of this is the way that you're coding me to understand that these kids are different and when you watch the carpenter movie you're like why is no one commenting on the fact that the kids look so fucking weird I don't have that question watching the original look, movie. Where do they yeah. get their clothes? Right. That's what I kept asking. Like, oh, you're mad your kids are only wearing gray? Who's buying them gray clothes? <laughs> right. They're all complicit in this. Right. Because, they just like, look at their parents and they're like, like, gray, gray. Yeah. And their eyes flash. The parents are like, okay. And they call Land's End. <laughs> their costuming. I think you're exactly onto something, Griffith. Like, their costuming to me read as like, John Carpenter watched the original, saw these creepy gray kids, wasn't thinking they're wearing gray because it's a black and white movie. <laughs> sure. Just thinking yes. like they right. were gray. That's right. who they are. They're just these kids who wear gray. So transplanted this look straight away into the 90s without thinking about it at all. I mean, these kids should be wearing guest jeans. Like, these they kids should, be, should wearing... be causing mischief. 
I also that's what I kept thinking. Well, sure. They should be like causing deadly mischief. They shouldn't be so stiff. It ben wants this movie to, to be like like Problem Child, like what kind of what, what like Aliens the was to Alien. This should be Dennis the menaces, and it's just all of them are menaces. Uh, but but Amy, to that to that point though too, it's just like I don't watch the original movie and think, well, their hair is silver. I think this is a black and white movie, and what they are trying to code us into understanding is like they are fair children, right? They have these weird yellow, white, white eyes and this very fair hair. And then when you watch them in color and they're all wearing gray and their hair is all like platinum, like silver nitrate colored, uh, it, it, it feels like an odd affectation that is not acknowledged enough in the universe around them, even more so than their weird powers. Right. Because they're just their presentation is so odd. I agree, because for the British tea-sippingness of it all, what I think makes the kids so unnerving in the original is that on one hand, they kind of are the perfect British children, mm -hmm. right? They're like yeah. polite, sort of. You know, they're not being rowdy. They're not hooligans. They're dressed in ties. They're very well-mannered, quote-unquote, to like the standards of 60s parenting day. They're proper the way that a 60s parent would have wanted, but also you know, like evil and robotic, but they blend in. They blend in so well to what a good little kid was supposed to look like back then. And that makes them unnerving. And now they're just like, I don't know. They're like little maitre d's wandering around and they don't fit in at all to the 90s. So, they just, it'd be funny if they were leading people to their tables yeah. at all. Times. Right this way. <laughs> right this way. You, you will accept a table away from the window. But like, I'll say this, Griffin. I don't know if you feel this way. I was terrified of the video box for this movie when I was a kid. I would look at it every single time I went to the rental store. I knew yeah. that it was there. I knew I was never going to rent it because it was a grown-up movie. But I would just take it off the shelf and look at the little uh, blonde children with their glowing eyes. And I would be like, this must be the scariest movie ever made. That, Like when I was like eight years old or whatever. This poster is plagued with the same thing we talked about in the Mouth of Madness it's episode. It's not a great where it's poster. It's just like horrible early Photoshop. Like just like, what if we weird just fucking warping. stretch? Right. Yeah. This yeah. Weird warping. Um, I, I, I look. It must have scared me. It must have it scared, scared me. The but Jesus out of me. I, I was such a. I mean, you said. I wonder if you agree with this because I have talked a lot about being scared by video boxes as a kid. I don't remember this one specifically, but it must have scared me. I mean, anything that was like evil toys or children, I think, scared me more for obvious reasons. Um, another thing, I mean, just like the, the 1960 movie is a 1960 studio horror film. No one is naturalistic, right? The entire thing is theatrical. Right. And the star of the movie is George Sanders, who's like one of the most mannered Man in the history of American cinema. Yeah. He's great. And a he's lot of, oh, he he's so great. And I love him. <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. But so much yeah. of the movie is him sitting back and going like, these children are quite strange, aren't they? And it's like, yeah. that's the vibe in which if the guy who's saying the children is strange is that strange and mannered himself. I'm like, well, this is of a piece. Christopher Reeve is going like pretty fucking minimalist in this movie. Like it's. He's really doing very, very little in a way that doesn't help. Like you, you maybe need someone getting, you maybe need the normal people in this movie to be more over the top if you're going to well, pull yeah. this off. 
or or the kids are more subtle. Because I mean, they're, well, I think both. Why not both? But like, I think with George Sanders, like, I mean, the guy who what he wasn't he was the critic in All About Eve. You know, he kind of comes to the screen with He's this Shere like Khan. intimidating. Oh yes, like intellectualism. You get this vibe in the original film that the kids kind of respect him slightly more than everybody else in the town, right? They like actually want to talk to him, kind of. They're actually kind of enjoying yeah. the con- conversation. And, and that's so much of the movie is him being like, these children are strange. Like, you do feel like the weight of the strange- strangeness of the children is fully felt in that movie, you know? Yeah, exactly. And Christopher Reeve, I mean, well, first... I want to just start by saying, is this Christopher Reeve's real hair color? Because it he's is. so blonde in this movie. I I realized, like, my God, I always just picture him with that, like, Clark Kent, like, jet blackness. I was really surprised that he was kind of more like a weather-beaten Redford look. We should also call out, this is his last movie before the accident. It's his last movie ever. This yeah, is the last much. one. The, yeah. the, accident, the accident happens, like, a month after this movie is released. Yeah, he buys the horse that the accident happens on during the making of this movie. The uh, the horse is named Buck. Buck. Yeah, and the movie comes out. It's it's the this is the last movie where he walks, and then he essentially after this, what he does the Rear Window remake for TV. He does a couple episodes of Smallville. He obviously devotes most of his time and energy to uh, research stem cell research. Uh, right. Um, I'm I'm sorry. He has two other movies that come out after this that were shot before. He has Above Suspicion. And he has a uh, black fox. No, what's it called? A step toward tomorrow. This is the last one that is released. I'm sorry. Step toward tomorrow. He is paralyzed. So there's one movie released after this shot before. This is the those last are both, movie. Those are TV movies, though. No, this is his last like film, 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 film. This is it. I mean, this is the movie that's still probably clinging barely on into theaters when he's on the cover of People Correct. magazine with Correct. his accident. Correct. Right. I remember his accident being so like i was little i was i'm nine when this movie comes out uh but my parents just trying to impress upon me like how shocking the whole thing was and then remember he was at the oscars griffin and everyone like you know gave him a standing ovation and all that you know i remember that i i remember finding it so thoroughly upsetting as a child like it was yeah but it was, I mean, obviously everyone talked about it, but it was just like the the irony of the thing was so sort of like tragic where it was like Superman can't walk. Like everyone was just right, sort of I like, know that we were what a about. tragedy. And he was known to be such a good guy. And he was this fucking like sort of, I don't know, this avatar of like American integrity. Here's my thing on Reeve. I feel like when I was a kid, the like reputation of Reeve that I knew was kind of like, well, he was Superman and he never really like overcame being Superman. Like as a, you know, he struggled as a movie star, mm-hmm. like you, you know, and then like anytime I see him in another movie, I've always re- like, I love him in death trap. Yeah, I love, trap. he's kind of a lot of fun and noises off. Yeah. Which is thinking, you know, kind of a bad movie, but like, you know, he's pretty good. I like him in the remains of the day. Like I've always been kind of like, is he kind of an underrated actor? Yeah. Like, you know, like in general, then obviously also the Superman performance. I feel like people have only grown in appreciation for that, like as sort of comic book acting has become such a huge quadrant of Hollywood where they're kind of like that performance is amazing versus at the time. I think people were like, well, he's this handsome guy. They just sort of found him on the street. He looks like Superman. He's not acting. He's just kind of. And then you you watch. 
the Clark Kent performance is so good, right? Yeah, it's great. And, and by all kinds, I mean, that was not who he was. I think he was closer to Clark Kent than he was to uh, Superman in a lot of ways. But he, he is the, the one actor in live action who I think has convincingly sold that you would not believe that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. You know, he yeah. does it through a yes. certain degree of theatricality, but you buy it. Like, you, you buy into the flight of fancy there. I, I mean, you're able to buy that Margot Kidder would look at Clark Kent and not think he's devastatingly handsome, which is crazy. You know, that he's a little bit of a goober. And it, right. And I feel like Christopher Reeve is a, is an actor that we never really got the full expression of for right. kind of what kind of what David is talking. Like, there's a lot of Christopher Reeve movies. I'll be honest, I haven't seen because they sounded like adult and kind of boring when I was little. And I've never gone back to them. But he is a guy who I mean, not only is he like the total like classic American like family came over on the Mayflower, went to Ivy League schools, went to Juilliard. Like he was a Shakespeare theater guy. He's like, this is a guy who's like fluent in French. You know what right. I mean? This is a guy who was handpicked by Catherine Hepburn to play her grandson on stage. And then he's offered Superman and he's like, well, Marlon Brando's in it and I'm a serious actor so I can do this. And he really right. does just become completely consumed by the Superman identity in the public eye. Like me, me included, me raising my hand and saying, like, I'm totally guilty. Yeah. And so I feel like this was a guy who could have been on a channel to be like an Olivier. And in, then instead he's like winds up in Village of the Damned in his time that's like pre-nerd revival where mm -hmm. he's kind of seen as a loser for being in this movie. Right. It, Is that it, fair to yeah, say? Yeah. I mean, it's it, he's very fascinating to me. I, I remember, I mean, whatever it was, 2017, 2018, having this conversation with you, David, a couple times of like the two people I'm really curious to watch how their careers play out now are Chadwick Boseman and Gal Gadot, because they felt like the two people who more so than any other superhero our actors potentially were stuck in the Christopher Reeve crosshair, right? Where it was just like, this character has become so iconic and so representational and they did so much work to sort of transform into this thing that seems sort of otherworldly. Will they ever be able to play anything else and be accepted for that and sort of seen as normal for that? And then it's like Chadwick dies and Gal Gadot feels like, no, at this point, I, I, it feels like she's probably never going to overcome being Wonder Woman. She can kind of give you one thing. Right. Right. And, she, and yeah, yeah. Right. that was just a perfect fit. And she couldn't even really pull it off the second time. You know, no, she couldn't. I mean, I think what makes her so good at Wonder Woman, and I say good with like a million air quotes and asterisks, sure. is that Gal Gadot kind of enters that movie really not understanding what it's like to be a human being as Gal. Yes. I don't think Gal gets, Gadot really gets it. She's like, what? I'm just an effortlessly beautiful woman who has babies and stays this thin. And I like, I don't know. I show right. up and I get these great roles. Like she doesn't understand what it's like to be a normal mortal at all. And I think that that translates in the movies and it's right. the best accidental She's very thing about her ease. casting. I, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I think that first movie uses her very well. And I think it's clear that what Bozeman did in Black Panther is closer to what Christopher Reeve did, where he really built a thing that hit such a nerve and became so much bigger than him. All of this said, though, my whole thing is like, with all this said, he's he's kind of bad in this movie. He, <laughs> yeah, is. I, he is. He seems a little at sea in this movie. I he guess does. is the nicest way to put it. He just seems to not really know what's expected of him. But but I also think if you look at his career up until this point, I mean, it's like, I don't know, in certain ways, 
Is this more of a strategic, I need to be a leading man again sort of play than a lot of the other movies he had done? Where it feels like he's sort of like, because I mean, Jesus Christ, you look at his fucking career, right? Superman's his second film, right? He gets that movie because they've cast Brando and Hackman. So they've cast like two humongous Oscar winners. Right. The be, money is with those guys. Right. So they're they're like, going to be first and second bill. Right. And also almost everyone in the supporting cast of that movie has an Oscar nomination. It's like wild how deep that cast is. So they want to cast fucking like Nick Nolte and Robert Redford and all the obvious people. And everyone turns it down. And they're like, what if we just save money and find an unknown guy? And it's this masterstroke because it's like you get to build a guy who then only becomes Superman in people's minds, which then fucks his career a little bit. But he notoriously, when he goes in for his audition, is like a beanpole. And they're like, how much muscle can you gain? You know, like he went in looking like Clark Kent. And he, as you said, Amy, kind of built himself, gave himself to this role and made himself Superman. Then uh, somewhere in time, which I feel like is probably his best received non-Superman movie, right? It has sort of the largest footprint. But even then as a cult film, uh, that's the same year as Superman 2. Then it's like Death Trap, right? He's amazing in Death Trap. But at that point, it's four years after the first Superman. And he's played Superman twice and he's done Somewhere in Time. And then he does a movie called Monsieur that I have never seen. And then he Monsignor. does... Monsignor. Uh, sorry, yeah. Superman, Superman 3. three, Right? Like, it's just Superman swallowing so much of it. Then Mer- Merchant Ivory movie. Yeah, I know. But here's the thing. He turned down American Gigolo. He turned down Splash. Sure. He turned down Fatal Attraction. He turned down Romancing the Stone. He turned down Lethal Weapon. He would keep turning down, down these movies. Yeah. He turned down all these sort of like movies that became hits. And he became this kind of like Hollywood story of like, well, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Like, look at Christopher Reeve. And it, like, I feel like he would always be like, well, I'm not right for that. I'm such a golden boy. Like, you know, he was too in his head about taking these sort of like slightly scummier roles. And he probably should have tried it. Maybe he would have been bad at it. I don't you know. maybe. Those movies don't work with Christopher Reeve. But also, like, he does Street Smart, and Street Smart is a flop, and its only legacy is that it's Morgan Freeman's first nomination. Like, the other guy pops in it, right? Like, that's the movie that puts Morgan Freeman kind of on the map. I I think to some degree... I think somewhere in this, like, in this kind of gray zone of his career, I think he becomes kind of a curse, where people are like, oh, a Christopher Reeve movie that's not a Superman movie. And I mean, when the, when he does I mean, in Village of the Damned, reviewers are calling this movie like they're saying that basically it's like the cast of people who should be in a Love Boat episode put in this John Carpenter movie. Like they are mean to the cast because he's in it. He becomes a punchline in a way. He's the original kind of like superhero punchline, right? Like kind of the, the same thing that happened to Brandon Routh or whoever. But like he's the you know original version of it. And you have to imagine that like a guy with his intellectual background probably really liked George Sanders and was like okay I could do a George Sanders part that original movie is so good but I hate to throw Carpenter under the bus a little bit here he's not a guy who mm. cares if his actors are any good can we right like I disagree like, with that I disagree with that I think this is when he's losing control this is the first movie where I go like he is not in control of any of these performances oh I don't know I mean yeah I think he has never I don't think he's had a strong hand in almost any of his performances. I think he either casts really well and they get it or he casts okay, but they don't get it and he doesn't correct them. Mm -hmm. I don't think he guides them back onto a track. I don't think he has a track in mind. 
when he's making this movie. I think he kind of hangs his actors out to dry. There are a lot of good performances in Carpenter movies. Then there are a lot of performances you don't think about in Carpenter movies, I would say. Yeah, sure. You know, where you're just like, oh, yeah, that's just like some guy. I would not give him credit for the good ones. And I mean this with all love and respect. I would. I think he I think he casts well, but then it is funny Griff how often we've talked about his use of Kurt Russell, but almost every time he's using Kurt Russell, he's kind of like, "But what if I got a movie star?" And then he ends up with Kurt Russell and he's like, right. "Well, Kurt's good." And it's like, "Yeah, Kurt's good, you yeah. idiot, you know." You like, you know like, right. It's just like 50% of his movie. Um well, don't but you like, think I I just I, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I, I'm just looking at like the Christopher Reeve here thing here in totality, right? And it does feel like arguably Village of the Dam. Why am I saying it weird? Village of the Dam. Because <laughs> you're struggling to not say children. <laughs> I know, I know. Corn of the Damned is arguably. <laughs> <laughs> you could see it as him in 1985 going, hate that damned corn. Uh, I, I need to do something commercial. Right. Like I need to do something where I am yeah. the guy, whether or not yeah. it's a Christopher Reeve vehicle and it's like a commercial picture and it's a normal thing because he's turned down so many hits. And I think a lot of the films he made were, I think, him trying to stretch himself outside of Superman and not conform to the boxes that Hollywood probably wanted him to fit into. I think probably because he was a serious actor and not someone who was movie star minded. That, like, it was more interesting for him to take on things that were, like, odd challenges, you know, or projects that might not get made if he wouldn't sign himself to it, rather than, this thing's going to be a hit, do you want to be the guy in the hit or not? Oh, God. Oh, God. You know who he was, and I feel bad even bringing this person's name up because, oh, dot, 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 dot. He kind of army hammered himself. Kind of. There's a thing, like, there's a type of actor where they're really tall and handsome, like, crazy, crazy tall, crazy handsome, and nobody knows what the hell to do with them. This is my thing. It's like, how can I be in, I'm trying, like, Lethal Weapon. It doesn't make sense that someone as good-looking and charming as me would have any problems. Honestly, that's true. It's, like, super true. And so they, like, wind up in these kind of weird roles, or they're trying to cast against type and if they aren't intellectual if they did go to an ivy league college like reeve did they're gonna outgame themselves which is what he did i think i think he outsmarted himself a little bit i mean it was like the merchant ivory was sort of the only fruitful collaboration he right. found makes sense in those post superman yeah. and and superman ended up sort of getting like off the rails uh, this movie just feels to me like he has this sort of tired resigned energy of like my agents are going to fucking drop me if I'm not in something that like it's a, it's a Billy Bob Thornton thing I've quoted where he says like my agents every four years go like, Billy, you need to do a bus stop movie again. You need to do a movie where the posters will be at bus stops. Yeah. You know, like you can do your fucking weird shit. But every four years you have to play the heavy in some movie that's going to like the mass public at least knows that it came out, whether or not it's a hit. But the and the thing with this is it's like no major actor is going to take this movie because the star of this movie is creepy kids, right? Like that's right. that's what you're going to sell the movie on. It's not going to be like you're on the poster with a gun, like pointing it at creepy kids. So he's also just probably reached that point in his career where it's like, yeah, he'll do it. You know, like, no, we're not going to get X A-lister, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he gets to say like, 
Oh, I'm working on Village of the Dam now. And people go like, oh, I know what that is. With John Carpenter. I recognize you know, that. Right. right. Those things yeah. make sense to me. Kirstie Alley is in that zone that most sitcom stars found themselves in in the 80s and 90s. Kirstie's in her Emmy streak, though. So it's not that insulting to be doing a movie with her. And like, I, I mean, if anything, to bring, to, bring, to bring the evil death stare back to Carpenter, he's reflecting Carpenter's energy. Carpenter's doing this for kind so. of the same reasons. Carpenter's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't really want to make this movie. This is kind of lame. Like, I guess I'll do this. Like, well, sure. I guess that's my other point is even if Kurt was the one who was doing much of the crafting, it, there was this sense of Carpenter knowing how to use leading men in interesting ways, right? And subverting sure. this sort of like leading men. And there just feels like no craft construction thought put into this Christopher Reeve character. This is just sort of like John normal guy, Dr. John normal guy who gets increasingly wary as this thing gets bad. I mean, the most interesting thing about his character, about Christopher Reeve's character is his house, right? Because that first little shot of his house on the cliff, this like ridiculous town, by the way, like Midwich, it's like, it's like kind of comically, it's like you assembled it from nine postcards from Iraq. You're like, Here's some cliffs. Here's some deer. Here's some lakes. Uh, here's our Western saloon. And then you go inside Christopher Reeves's house and it's like covered in dried flowers, right? It's like a witch's house. Yeah. I mean, did anybody else notice that? Because it weirded me out. It's like, here's Christopher Reeves's house. He's walking around and it's like covered in dead flowers it's on weird. the inside. Yes, but like, what is he doing with all, all that? that stuff? Makes you go like, who the fuck is this guy? And not in a way where I'm yeah. interested trying to figure him out. I'm like, did anyone make any decisions here? Well, that's I don't think they did because no. you put like his performance next to Mark Hamill's performance next to Kirstie Alley's performance. And there's nobody saying, let's make sure these three people are in the same movie. No, I I think there's one good adult performance in this movie, and I'm curious if we all agree on it. Is it Mark Hamill? I think it's Linda Kozolowski's pretty good. Yeah, she's, she's pretty, pretty she's too. pretty good too. And we've covered the fucking Crocodile Dundee trilogy, and this is one of her only non-Croc Dundee movies. This is essentially the end of her career. She does this, she hasn't done it for six years until Dundee in Los Angeles, and that's her final film role. It's pretty much one of like only the only movies she made without Paul Hogan in it. Now, I'll say this. Paul Hogan might be fun in this movie. I, I would have liked to see Paul Hogan. <laughs> like, Paul Hogan maybe walks into this movie, gives it 10% more juice. But uh, I was, I was going to say, because Hamill is kind of just doing his 90s Hamill thing. He's hammy. He's, he's, but, he's, but, he's not well, bad. Almost not hammy enough. I mean, it's... Yeah, well, there's part the of the, character... I, I think they don't give him yeah. the room to, yeah. to do it. You I think there's only right. like two Hamill scenes. He shows up, he's freaking about about like finger paints. Or every time some people are freaking out <laughs> yeah. finger paints. And he's just like nervous. And then that's kind of it. He gives like a speech where he's like, I don't know, science doesn't make sense. But what about God? And then he goes crazy. Like he doesn't, there's not enough, there's not enough Hamill in, interiority in this movie, I feel like. Like I want to know what's happening with him. No. And I think this is the period of time where he got very cartoony. But if you're going to hire him, then let him go huge. You know, like, I, I yeah, it, it's he's an odd fit. Every performance in this is in a different movie. And I'm going to blame Carpenter for that. I No, Sorry. I think yeah. absolutely fair. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree at large with your takes on him as an actor's director, but in this movie, absolutely. David, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Well, I rarely say this, but this movie should probably be longer. Like, it, yeah. it almost could benefit from just a little more time spent on developing things. And instead, 
like we it's got that first half hour that's sort of compelling. And then once the kids are around, we're just kind of interspersing the kinds of scenes you're talking about. Like Hamill gives a speech and I'm like, what was that? And then the kids march into some room and stare at someone and they're like, ah! you know, and they like, you know, pour acid on themselves or whatever. And they just sort of repeat that ping pong, you know, back and forth for, you know, an hour. Yeah, but what you're not getting is like what leads to the most interesting part of the movie that this is a group of this is a group of kids whose parents don't love them. Yeah. You know, right. like I mean, I mean Sims, you became a parent. Like the time that goes into what waiting for the birth, preparing all the anticipation and then to go through and you have a kid who freaks you out and is disappointing like that's it's interesting. Yeah, David, as someone disappointed by your daughter, what do you yeah. think <laughs> of this movie? She's David, as someone whose daughter, daughter could possibly so kill good. all of us with her stare. No, this is the whole thing. She does have big <laughs> Amy, eyes. Amy, she does have big Amy, eyes. Amy, Amy, you have not met Sims's daughter. But I don't know if you absolutely, follow the Instagram, Amy. Absolutely looks like someone who could kill people with her stare. <laughs> you, should, you should follow the gram, Amy, it is, if you don't. I'm going to send you a picture right now. Amy, Amy, it is wild. We were hanging out with with two other friends who have small children and so there were six parents sitting around and the other four parents just kept on going jesus fucking christ her eyes <laughs> uh she does have intense eyes but i will that that's what i'm what i will say amy is what you're like i kept having questions stuff like the fact that they have like clothes right like where i'm like the parent bought them clothes do they go to school like what's a night like with these kids does the parent yeah. go like, eat your chicken nuggets? And the kid's like, no, I am part of a hive mind. Like, what, what's that conversation? <laughs> I have like, a partner. We have imprinted <laughs> upon each other. So much of parenting so far. I mean, you know, it's just a lot of daily grind stuff. You know, it's all enchanting and wonderful, but it's also kind of like, all right, you got to eat. You got to sleep. You got to, you know. And like, is that is that how it is with these guys? Or are they just sort of going home and like pouring themselves a martini and their parents are like, yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on with my kids. I don't really yeah, have a relationship right. with them. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that. There's none of that take a shower, brush your teeth. Like, yeah, right. like do they <laughs> did they change their diapers when they were little? And, and also in the original, there's at least like siblings. Like all of these guys seem to be only kids. So there's no other kid kind of stuck in a house with them being like, you freak me out. There's there's really no human point of view on these kids besides like, oh, get away. Like they treat them like cockroaches. It does feel like we're like fucking five seconds away from a 10 part prestige Village of the Dam miniseries. Right. right. We're, we're like, here's how you stretch it out. And someone at, you know, Hulu is listening and they're like, hmm. I will say it's actually already been greenlit in England. They're making it as a TV series. Yeah, fucking they are. That's but, actually but true. Back to yes, the OG, yeah, yeah. the Midwitch. The mid doing yeah. a Midwitch. But um, this movie has a has the the plot device of right. They kind of pair off. Not with siblings, but they just sort of they're two they're bonded pairs, the kids. And so then you have the one kid, David, uh played by Thomas Decker, Griffin. Yes. Who went on to be in stuff, right? He was in Heroes and shit. Uh Sarah Connor Chronicles and all that. He was John Connor. He was uh the Zelensky boy in Honey I Shrunk, the TV series. Right. And so he's like supposed to be the sort of like not quite evil one, because he never he never, I guess, bonded his with his, his... Yeah, exactly. So, like, if he had a girlfriend, he'd be more evil? Exactly. Then That's she'd the keep him on the straight and narrow. everything I learned on Reddit. 
<laughs> Amy, you have to stop going to that page. You gotta stop <laughs> going. <laughs> you gotta stop going. Um, uh, it also feels like th- that's a weird Carpenter thing seeping through of just like, what's the most horrifying reality I can imagine? Not having a little children of the damned girl to date. <laughs> right. <laughs> so a chill- fate worse than death. I mean, we haven't acknowledged this. This is the other thing. I mean, we, we have to acknowledge Carpenter. This is the quote. I knew exactly where to shoot it. Shoot it. I live up there. You know, like this whole thing is shot near Inverness, California, where he shot the fog. Yeah. And it's just like, he's just like, it's great because you just point the camera anywhere and there's like a beautiful vista. But he's not saying like, yeah, I'll make Village of the Damned if, you know, you make it at my house, basically. Like, that's what he ended up doing. They made like a $22 million movie in his backyard. Like, there's no, that's, that's testifies to the lack of effort here. Like the fog, he's looking out at the fog and he's like, I've got an idea. This is just like, yeah, I don't know. What if the village of the damned was my village? His alive pictures deal fell apart and there was a lawsuit and the settlement was the deal sort of transferred over to universal. And he was like, this is great. The universal terms are great. I have bigger budgets, more freedom. They really trust me. Like he seemed very happy with like, I've never had a better time working with a studio. This was perfect. They gave me a lot of room. It was nice to work with a budget over $10 million again. But it also just feels like it it, it feels like some degree of passion is gone now. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 just speculating here and I'm not his therapist. Uh but like it feels to me that Carpenter was trying to make a bad movie as though he was saying hey Hollywood give me your money and I will prove that you have no good ideas like if you want me to remake this movie to fulfill a contractual obligation fine like I will show you that I can that remakes suck like it's kind of like he's putting a 22 million dollar gun to their head and saying either give me freedom and money or I'm just going to take your money and give you guys the finger. But he's also a guy who's done good remakes up until this point, even if they didn't play well at the time. And and he, in interviews at the time of his movies coming out, would not mince any words. And for this one, he was like, this is great. This is the best relationship I've ever had with a studio. Well, I mean, there's this interview from 2011, where I think it's for the ward, where... Uh, the interviewer asks, like, what's a project you, you know, didn't like catch on with audiences? And he's like, well, there's The Thing, which bombed, but I think it's one of my best films. And then he says, I'm really not passionate about Village of the Damned. I was getting rid of a contractual assignment, although I will say it has a very good performance from Christopher Reeve. So there's some value in that. Nice to toss Chris a bone, but he does kind of basically there just take this movie out back and shoot it. He's like, whatever. That was just kind of a, you know, filling. To- the weirdest thing, Griff, is this movie came out two months after Mountain of Madness. Mountain That's of Madness. so fucking weird. Because they held over that movie for so long. That yeah. They, he basically had two movies back to back this year. I mean, this is the other quote from him. Uh, it was fun to do a drama like Village as opposed to In the Mouth of Madness, which has a little edge to it. This is more straight. This is more a baby boomer, middle class kind of movie. There's nothing wrong with that. I just hadn't done one of those in a long time. If you make a movie (laughs) over 10 million, you got to try to reach out to the broadest audience you can find. If you make it under 10 million, you're able to make it more quirky, more daring, more subversive if you want to use that word. Like, it's just him sort of saying like, I don't know, I'm making one of these. Yeah, he like doesn't seem to care. Okay, okay, I have a quote then, fine. Here's my Carpenter quote that I found. He said at the time, you know, he's like, that's a pretty easy little movie to make. You don't have to do much to the original. You've just got to bring it up to date, humanize it a little, and make the characters rich. 
And I will say he did none of those things. Like he sure. didn't bring it up today. He didn't humanize it and he didn't make the characters rich. So it's really like he didn't try even with the low stakes he said he had to try. Well, I'll, I'll one up you with yet another quote. Okay. Oh, good. Oh so this God. is from Starlog, but this is when he's promoting Escape from L.A. The easiness of the production, as, as J.J., our researcher, pointed out, seemed to be the main appeal. He goes, people sneak up on me occasionally and say, boy, I loved Invisible Man. That film was a difficult experience for me. That was as close as I've ever had to a why am I doing this situation? I thought at that point, life was miserable. I felt, why live this way? Maybe I should be doing something else for a living. But I did a couple good films after that. And now I'm having a pretty good time for an old guy. It does sound a little bit like, here's this guy who's been fighting so fucking hard for all his movies for like 20 years. And most of them are shit on at the time. And he was just like, I don't know. Can I do this the way other people seem to do it? Other people seem to not be fucking. What if I just don't care? Losing their minds all the time. Right. There's that attitude. He seems tired. It feels like he's settled. He's like. You're fine. We'll go to Applebee's. I'll marry you. I don't care. <laughs> right. I'm done. Right. Like, I'm 32. Yeah. We. I've done the thing. I had my hot and fast loves of my life yeah. early on. Like, here we go. And, and now I, what I think the irony is, is because he didn't, I believe, and I say this again, it pains me. I, you know I love Carpenter. I did mm-hmm. a whole podcast on Carpenter. I was going to ask you. Yeah. But like, yes. so it pains me to, to throw him under the bus and like shoot him with my village of the damn laser eyes Mm -hmm. but by not i believe fighting harder for his career in whatever form that would have taken either like fighting harder to make studio movies like maybe actually trying to humanize this movie a little bit and make the characters rich whatever version of fighting he didn't bother to do it set him up to now become the guy whose own movies are just getting these kind of mediocre remakes yeah he has become the guy that he was now, and he's, he's just like, whatever, I'll do the score. Who cares? Yeah, yeah like and it, it, his cynicism really breaks my heart because I don't feel like it had to be that way. But I guess he was kind of always like a cynical, weird guy to begin with before he even made a movie. And it, is it just like he just it all went to that incredible sort of 10, 15 year run, right? He just pours all the energy in. And I guess Memoirs of an Invisible Man, that would be the one where he's like, I'm fine. You broke me. I'm done. I know I've made a lot of good movies. I can't fight anymore. So yeah, I'll just, we'll see. I was going to say that that's the other factor. You cannot underrate Chevy Chase's capacity to break a man. <laughs> right? I mean, just truly, snap him in half. We, we can talk around this and there are other factors at play, but like what's wrong with this movie? I don't know. It's a guy coming off of a Chevy Chase picture. <laughs> I know Mouth of Madness is in between, but like maybe the chase takes a little while to catch up, you know? But that's the, I mean, that's what I, now I think of him and I I do want to ask you, Amy, about doing your Halloween podcast, which is incredible and people should listen to it if they haven't already. Um, It was from, when was it from Amy? It was for the 2018 movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 2018. Clocks ticking, baby. Halloween season's almost over. Mm. Right. But, um, but like, I do feel like now I imagine like David Gordon Green sitting down with him being like, yeah, so what I'm thinking for Halloween kills is like this and this and like this. What do you think? And Carpenter's like, huh? Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, cool. I'm just going to do like some synths. That's what I'm thinking. You know, like, yeah, he just let me noodle back here. You know, and Green's like, well, I'm trying to pay homage to you. And he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Like, I just feel like he's completely over all of it. Right. What's the vibe you got from him? 
what I got, like, he was the first interview I did for that podcast. So I was absolutely nervous. Like, it was like, whatever we got from him had to be kind of the, the skeleton we hung the rest of the show on. So, I mean, I prepped for that. Like, I was going to be like Katie Couric at the presidential debates. I was like freaked out. And I was like, I have exactly this amount of time. And I'm going to like waste three minutes tactically to talk to him about NBA basketball at the beginning, mm. knowing that he likes basketball and I like basketball. Maybe that'll get him to like relax right. with me a little bit. I think you're which cool. I, right. Totally worked. Totally worked. I will say that. But what I got from him is I'm going to call it like big cat energy, um, <laughs> which is a thing I've been thinking about a lot watching like the new season of Secession because like Brian Cox plays like his character on Secession with I, I also believe big cat energy. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I don't know if yep. you guys are cat people. Uh, I'm a Brian like Cox a cat, person. Yeah. So Brian, my association. Like or... if a cat doesn't want to care about something, it just absolutely won't. If you're like, hey, cat, look at me. And the cat continues to stare at nothing in the corner. Like, to me, that is very carpenter. Where, like, you will, he will be roused only for what he wants to be roused. And if you put a leash on him, he'll play dead. Like, he will only do what he wants to do when he, of his own freedom and accord. The sense of being free, I think, is really important to him. Absolutely. And, like, yeah. playing dead on the outside, playing apathetic on the outside is like a superpower. And it enables him to live this creative, weird life of like noodling around and creating his own Grateful Dead cover band or whatever he does, like in in his own home. I, like I also think that I I I I want to make it clear this is not my opinion. This is an unfortunate reality that I've come to accept. I think caring too much is a liability in the entertainment industry. I think it is a thing that people will almost always interpret as a weakness. Or a vulnerability that they can manipulate to their own ends. And I do think there is a strategic nature to, as much as I do believe he is a, a pretty brutally cynical man on, on some basic level, at least in terms of his worldview or his judgment of other people or whatever. I do think there is that couching of it, it hurts so much to fucking care and Everyone else is going to fucking if they know there's a spot, they're going to poke that bruise. You know, I think that's very true. He he dealt with that pain. He he, he had did those the, those wounds. Right. And he's just, right. I, I sympathize with with he's like, yeah, you know, I just don't want to have the knockdown drag out. I don't want to right, have my baby get suffocated in the editing room. Right. Or what, you know, like whatever it is, whatever he's I get it. And he also made a bunch of good movies. So he's allowed. Yeah. I mean, especially when you like put your name on on the title of your movie still like John Carpenter's this for it to not feel right. like yours for people to fuck with you and have it get smothered like that's painful as anything. And I mean, to me, the biggest mystery of people who work in Hollywood and get these big blank check paydays is why they just keep keep making movies like to me, if yes. I was like an actress or, or a director and I had, I you know, like, right. yeah, if I had enough in the bank at a certain point after like my 10th film or something, enough to like drink wine. And no, I don't even like wine enough to drink whiskey and read books for the rest of my life with like a cat at my ankles. Why would I keep getting plastic surgery and going out there and like hum and struggling for respect? I don't know why they do it. I mean, this is like we Dave and I talk about this with Bruce Willis all the time. He is but one oh, example. Yeah. But that's one where you're just like. He does not have Nick Cage style notorious tax troubles or whatever, you know, where you're just like, why are you doing these things you seem to hate, you know, that are only sort of like diminishing your legacy? And there is this lost thing of like, 
oh, James Cagney just like wouldn't make a movie for 25 years and then was like, sure. I, I guess I'll do ragtime, you know, like Greta Garbo doesn't work the last 40 years of her life, 50. Like there there was several eras of movie stars where the majority of them, even the biggest ones, would just at some point be like, eh. Yeah, starting with Mary Pickford, the first movie star. She was like, oh, gosh, I'm nearly 40. Bye. Right, right. I'm going to be at Pickfair. See y'all later. And maybe you're able to, like, coax them out of retirement, get them to do one thing a decade or whatever, once every 20 years or whatever. But it's like a lot of them just never did it again. And people feel so unwilling to let go these days that it makes Gene Hackman seem like a curio. And there's a selfishness where you're like, man, it'd be fucking rad to see Gene Hackman show up in a movie tomorrow right. and have his fastball. But also, I'm just like, I don't know, the guy fucking retired and he writes historical novels. It goes to diners, gets accidentally filmed by Guy Fieri. Sounds like a perfect life. <laughs> I, I will also say in Carpenter's defense, I've never heard a good thing about the ward, but the next three movies, Escape from L.A., Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, all kind of have their defenders. And maybe I have like a little Escape from L.A. Right. You know, you know, like those He's are having fun. Like, they disappointed a little on release, but now people are like, right, exactly. Like, oh, those are fun and those are cute, you know, or what, you know. So this one and the ward, I mean, Memoirs of Invisible Man, it's very obvious what happened there. Like that, that's sure. that's a star problem, as you say. But like this one and the ward are the only two where I feel like the the breed is sort of like, was Carpenter just kind of checked out? He just didn't really give a shit. Like, you know, it's sort of surprising considering his his filmography and I'll, how strong I'll it say is. this too though like I was always fucking told as an actor like you care too much about this shit you overthink this stuff too much you need to fucking calm down and just treat this like a job right and I would always resent people telling me that that was a liability you know uh, that that was a hindrance for me getting jobs or being able to secure jobs or got in the way of me doing the jobs and I'm like fucking caring about this is the whole point and there are times where I've been like, I don't know, what if I try not caring about this, you know? And, oh, my yeah. God, you guys. Griffith. What? That's that's the whole point of the movie. The kids are saying over and over again, empathy is a problem. Why do you have sure. empathy? Why do you have emotions? Caring too much about this is going to destroy you all. Why bother caring? And oh, my God, that's exactly what he that's exactly Carpenter's Fuck. argument. Oh my God. Because I was going to say, this feels like now? him trying, maybe, maybe. This feels like him going, <laughs> no. like, what if I try one movie where I don't give a shit? Right. And for right, whatever right. you want to throw at vampires that go to Mars, escape from LA, no one's going to say, like, that feels like that is made apathetically. But this yeah. is a movie about him trying to be like, I don't know, let me do what other people do, which is just they just show up and they do their job and they cash their check and they go home and they don't fucking start World War Three over like their little, like, genre movie and and it's it's evil it's bad not giving a shit's bad but but giving a shit is bad because that's how the bad. movie ends okay okay but like think about this like the whole last third of the movie is about like are we gonna rescue david david's a little bit better than the rest of them like we should take care okay. of okay well let's not pump but, sims up too much yeah he's oh, smart oh, well but, yeah. we did you're you're fine, David. When I was um, a little Bond boy, I also spelled my name in blocks. <laughs> but like, speaking of creepy David, who's the, who, to be clear, creepy David is the movie David. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of creepy David, like there is this big push for empathy and like maybe this boy can be saved and maybe it's OK to have a heart after all. But the way the movie ends is like, probably not. Like you saved a guy who's going to kill people. Like, yeah, I think the movie does say it like it. 
to me, that's like one of the frustrating things about the build up to the climax is like you're watching Christopher Reeve and Linda kind of like sweat and try to save David from not having to die in the giant fireball. Mm-hmm. Um, so many fireballs in this movie. Like, like feels like that's where most of the budget went is fireballing yeah, everything. Yeah. But like, I was watching that stretch and being like, why do you want David to live? He's still also probably evil. And like, yeah, maybe they're like hiding his face when other people glow their eyes and murder people. So we can't tell whether or not he's like murdering with his eyes as well. They just hide that from us. But like, don't have empathy for David. And they do. And that's going to wind up really badly for all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, it... David does not look like he's going to be nice to us. No matter no matter the fact that he was saved from the fireball. Because, like, also all his friends just got killed. So. It's so weird that this is a movie where, just like in the original, late in the film, Kirstie Alley gets the news that society is nuking, basically towns to kill these kids she delivers it with like mild surprise and the movie kind of just moves on like why isn't that so chilling like i should watch that and be so freaked out and instead i'm i don't know it's the same like what you said griffin with the stillbirth yeah where like that scene should be so weird and instead she treats it like she's like stealing some apples from the grocery store she kind of just is like i'm sorry it's stillborn and then like sneaks out it's a run-on like, sentence. Like, she does not play the moment where she observes that the baby is stillborn. No, and then you see the baby later, and it's supposed to be, like, this horrifying, shocking image, and it just looks like the alien from Mac and Me, but with a really prominent vagina for And reason. he's usually so good at the fucking rubber shit. Like, um, And this movie had a big budget. Like, I know. For him. I know. It's so weird. No, I think you yeah. cracked it, Amy, and that is the angle through which this film becomes interesting only as a piece of his narrative. It still is not a compelling movie on its own, but I do think you're right. I think that is what's going on here. Um, Can you do me a favor quickly and click uh, the file I placed into the uh, chat of the Zoom, Amy? Oh my god. I, yes, there oh it is. Okay, one second. Uh-oh. <laughs> Griffin, you love to send a picture of my child as a as a sort of a Aww. you know surprise moment for the podcast. Yes, he has it on that. his desktop now. Like it, it's it. the same Ready expression as when you sent me a picture of her earlier, David. And I was like, your baby just looks like she has a secret she doesn't want to tell anyone. <laughs> that secret. I mean, she might she might be damn. <laughs> no, get come out on. of here. Well, uh, no, I'll tell you. She's what, not. I, she's not. She's not. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course, that uh, uh, mean joke. Uh, Amy, she does have a secret. I'm going to share another picture here quickly. Uh, here, if you want to just look. I oh, think you're it's just very doing sweet this, that but, you collect uh-huh. these. Of course. Uh, if you want to just click this quickly, it's a link. <laughs> All right. you just, this is just your favorite new bit. She looks uh-huh. like the boss baby. Uh-huh. Actually, she does look like Thank the boss you. baby. Yeah, I know. I know she looks like the boss baby. We all but know But that's it. a great thing. The boss baby's the boss. The boss baby's a movie she's, star, she's a, too. She's in charge. She's a, a fucking movie star, Boss Baby. Boss Baby, that fucking $20 million opening weekend. How many people Runs can say that? Runs shit, David. Yeah. Runs shit. What if we made the Boss Baby of the Damned? That's the thing. What if the third Boss Baby uh, is that they, they their eyes start glowing? <laughs> they start <laughs> making people kill themselves. This, the suicides are so... The guy jumping off the roof and then like, like impaling the himself on the broom. <laughs> Yeah, like, such, I, and then it's like such an obvious like dummy like it's so weird the gags none feel of the sloppy in this right no it's not scary at all 
The only one that kind of got me was the guy who falls asleep on his grill and cooks I was himself. Say, that was kind of cool. one fucking compelling image, and it's like, yeah, you're only seeing the aftermath of it. He he really yeah. looks like a sausage man. Like, yeah, yeah. it's so looked, well done. He looks a little tasty. Yeah, yeah, but that was like that was like a <laughs> punk joke. Like that was not that was a nasty, mean punk joke. I appreciated that. Yeah, hell yeah. I also appreciated that we kill off Linda, uh, Linda, uh, Linda's husband so early. Michael yeah, Michael Perry dies like immediately. Yeah. Like immediately, I don't. I'm not that familiar with the work of him, but I was like watching him, and I was like, okay, this guy looks like if Jason Priestley and Luke Perry had a baby. He is one of these guys where I, every time he's in a movie, I go, "Who is this guy? Oh, that's Michael Perry." Like he just never sticks in my head. Streets of Fire is his big thing, and Eddie and the Cruisers, but I never am able to remember it's the same guy. I'm just well, like, oh, he's one of those okay. guys who kind of just he looks like a guy, like you know, in his in the eighties, especially he looked like. You know, a movie star, but he didn't. Whatever, he was always kind of knockoff. Yeah, and I guess that's that's just how it is. I like the music that his character listens here as he drives around his like Canadian tuxedo to prove that he's like the cool guy. That like it's like that bluesy sort of noodling rock. He's like do 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 do, and then he crashes and his tank explodes. I mean, that to me surprised me. I wasn't expecting that because he looked generic handsome enough. I thought he'd be around longer. And then I wound up Googling, like, does helium explode? Helium doesn't explode. He is high billing, but this movie, apart from, I guess, the kids, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. a lot of characters who do much, really. It's kind of the problem. That's another moment I kind of like is when they the like border outside of the town when the blackout happens and they're sending people in and all the cops are passing out. That moment the guy where paint, they put the, the guy, guy in the rope. Yeah, like the first thirty minutes, there's a lot of good shit like that. The fucking the barbecue guy is in that. I think seeing all the collapsed dogs is really like creepy. Like all of those dogs just collapsed in the road. Like how did they get the dogs to collapse like that? Uh, all that blackout stuff feels to me like a better execution of what uh, M. Night was trying to do in The Happening. Where it's just like, this is uh, just yeah, weird. Sure. Why is everyone behaving strangely? Why is society just sort of like slowing down? You know, it, it gets that kind of eeriness right. Uh, even aside from just like the big shocks and scares and stuff, just just the oddness of it. It's true, but and then Kirstie Alley shows up and introduces herself as Dr. Susan Werner, like Turner with a V. Like Turner with a V. Like, like you couldn't just say like, do that, like Dr. Susan Werner, you know, like the soda. Turner with a V, I think, is the most complicated way to introduce that last name. She's so weird in this. I mean, she's... I, I, I know, right. We talked about her a little bit. We, we do. It's a very, very atonal performance. She is quite bad in this movie. Emmy streak or no. It is not good work from Kirstie Alley. I was wondering, I mean, you know, and I don't really like picking on people because of their religion at all. But I do think it's interesting that Kirstie Alley is like, what, a level seven? She's high up there. Yeah. In Scientology. Yeah. And she is yeah. playing kind of a Fauci-esque figure mm. in this movie. It does feel like she's channeling a little bit of her aggression towards smarty pants government people who think scientists, they can tell you what to do right. yeah yeah scientists who know what's up like i mean she's like playing this movie like she's agent hobbs like she's like simultaneously doing like fucking like tommy lee jones and the fugitive and doing like his girl friday right and she's not doing either one well 
no, and I don't think Carpenter's helping her. He's like, okay, sure. Why don't we shoot you in an all black room for some reason? Right. Like, let's just do that too. Like, let's just have this film turn into a noir for some scene. Like here, it's going to be a, a, like a TV movie with a pumpkin patch in the opening scenes and like a film noir for three minutes later on. Sometimes it feels like she's playing like brassy screwball lady. And other times it feels like she's eating, playing like a government agent who literally eats nails. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to switch the costumes between like her and the the virgin girl who gets pregnant because like Christy Alley shows that's up Meredith like, Salinger yes. yeah Meredith Salinger because like Christy Alley shows up wearing like all black for just sort of no reason but meanwhile then you have this like really goth girl who seems like goth in mentality you know she's like been forced to have this alien baby she was a virgin all things are like breaking loose yeah, she, she has a more interesting arc I would say yeah it's not 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 heavily but she just shows up and she's wearing like buttery yellows and then she immediately kills herself and I think that character could have been really cool yeah especially because every single thing about this character is the shit you couldn't do in 1960 like this is all untouched you know it's like here's a character who is only defined by the subjects we could not discuss when the last movie was made um yes but then they don't actually do much with that no she's just fucking haunted and the kid kind of fucks with she her. does offer the kid booze that that was an interesting choice yeah that was great yeah yeah i wanted more of that yeah i wanted to see maybe the kid get a little drunk and then lighten up <laughs> yeah that'd be good one of the one of the damned kids gets drunk and then you know whatever up. Does uses some, powers uh, to do tricks and shit. You know what I mean? Juggles pranks. with his head. I don't know. I mean, do none of the parents ever realize the thing with the glowing eyes? Do they this ever the, just this, be like, why don't we wear so sunglasses? Or like, so why don't bizarre. we not look at them? Like, But this is the whole thing. Why are they not all just throwing these kids off a cliff? I guess it's because the kids can like, you know, uh, control their minds or whatever. But you know, still like, no one's just like, hey, I noticed that 10 of the kids at school uh, are complete freak shows. So, is anyone does anyone want to deal with this? Like, they just kind of let it happen for a while, and then they're like, you know what? There's been too many creepy suicides in Midwich. Maybe like you know, someone should actually start dealing with this. But like, this is. I mean, me. I've been the, fucking doing unformed versions of this rant in multiple episodes this series. But like, you know, uh. Subtlety being overrated and realism and being more interested in things where you can sort of like uh, deal with a more elastic tone, you know, but you get away with it when you clearly are able to project to the audience that you have a consistent sense of what the rules of this universe are. And like in the original film, largely because they cannot show pregnancies and deliveries and things like that. You have these sort of time jumps and then you just end up in a state where it's like the kids are like this now and everyone is sort of freaked out by the kids. And the whole movie is at such a specific pitch and wavelength that you just go like, I accept that these are the rules of how this universe operates. Right. Like I, I will buy into uh, weird movie logic as long as you convey it to me with a sense of integrity and specificity of like. This is what we do or don't talk about, right? And this is a movie that just never gets over the hump of why isn't everyone freaking out about this all the time? You know, like, why, why aren't they constantly screaming? Yeah. Or why aren't they at least just putting a bag over the kids' heads if it's like the eyes are the problem? Like, do they sleep? And if so, it seems like you could solve this. 
And also, it seems like they figure out pretty quickly that the kids can read your mind and then they do absolutely nothing with that. The brick wall thing is so bizarre. Well, yeah. that's in the original. I guess they just wanted to do it again, right? It's just like, so poorly, I feel like, it uh, is. realized well in this one, yeah. visually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks like he's doing stand-up. Yes. Well, especially because, it, yeah, it does. I almost did a brick wall background and I realized it would just look Wait, like if that happened, that's amazing. God, that's funny. That would be Wait, good. that's really funny. <laughs> what is the deal with empathy? <laughs> right. But, like, I imagine he could think of, like, worse stuff. Like, I always have songs running through my head that are so annoying. Like, if the kids can read your mind, why aren't just they just thinking about the most annoying? Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> right. Yeah, just right. drive right. the kids crazy. Right, just do fucking and moves all- like Jagger in your head until they run off a cliff. But yeah. I feel like in the in the, in the the original, when he does the brick wall, you're like, oh, this is like an inventive way for a cheapo horror movie from, yes. you know, 60 years ago to, to sort of... Rep- this, is, this must be from the book, and it's interesting. Right, and this just kind of feels like they were like, what should he, he, what did he do last time? Brick wall? That's fine. Well, uh, it's easy to shoot a brick wall. I'll point a camera at it. And and the shots of the brick wall are like, this is, this is the fucking money shot. As if it's like the nightmare imagery from the end of Prince of Darkness or whatever. And you're like, like there, there's a weird. And not a screensaver. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And also like, if they know that they can read their minds. Have you know? Did you notice that twice Kirstie Alley goes up to Christopher Reeve right before he has to be around the kids and tells him a dark secret that the kids can't know? She's like, you're about to go into like the shark's den of kids who can read your mind. This is the perfect time to tell you that the government has been blowing up all of the other children. Don't let them find that out in your head. What? But keep that at the back of your brain, though. Keep that, you know, put that on a back burner, maybe. It's it's so bizarre whatever it's not a very good movie no. i mean that's you know okay. we're coming at this from a lot of angles but that's how to diagnose it yes amy what i just i just have to say one last thing of course like when the villagers finally get mad at the end and finally go crazy like right after hamill like is forced to commit suicide and his wife starts screaming all of the villagers finally decide to do something about this and they are straight up out there in the street holding flaming torches. Like, this they is sure a Frankenstein are. movie. Like, where did they even get the torches? This is just one of those things where I'm like, did Carpenter not? He was like, making a schlocky movie. Don't even bother giving them flashlights or whatever people would have in the 90s. They're all going to go to, like, the hardware store and get flaming torches for this scene. Yeah, they went to the torch store. <laughs> they went to the They went to the local mob store. Yeah. It just felt like the final kind of like, fuck you. Like I have, I will not think about updating this in the slightest. There is nothing I will do to bring this movie into the 90s, except for Linda's ponytail. She has a really great 80s ponytail, 80s, 90s ponytail, and we're done here. I didn't see pitchforks. Could have done with they had those pitchforks. Flaming, yeah. He was saving those so, for I mean, the sequel. He updated in that way. He's like, who uses pitchforks anymore? Just, just torches. That's true. Although this town could use a pitchfork. I mean, there's a lot of hay barrels. Yeah, maybe maybe they could move some hay around just sort of keep themselves occupied. Uh, here's the thing I, I want to uh, read. Uh, it's, I don't know. Why not? On set, <laughs> here's from our dossier. Uh, thank you to our researchers. On set, Hamill and Allie kept things loose, breaking into Bella Lugosi impressions between takes Ed Wood had just been released. Hamill, we couldn't stop talking like Bella Lugosi. It's spelled phonetically like that. We filmed one scene where I came to Christy and say, where did you take the baby? And I couldn't help myself. I said, 
where did you take the baby? And she bounced right back, practically shouting now, I took it to the pathology lab. Kind of wish Hamill had just done that for the whole movie, right? Yeah, he should have just leaned into that. This needs like a gonzo performance in it. Like it needs someone doing like a fucking Jeffrey Combs. And when you were excited about uh, the the crazy guy that you started the episode off with, just because he's got a little juice. Uh, What's his name? The flower guy. Right, but he's got like one fucking scene. Like you know what? Hamill is like a crazy raving preacher with a bizarre accent george buckflower that's his name he's in like a million things million oh, right good name yeah yeah um yeah well you know sure i'm sure i'm glad they had a good time i hope everyone was well paid yeah it's kind of one of those movies where you start kind of just grasping it like look i hope the catering was good right <laughs> like you know like maybe they they saw a good movie one night they all like the whole crew got together and like went into town and saw whatever was out well Maybe, maybe, maybe the days were short. They actually gave crew proper turnaround. I don't yeah, know. exactly. Carpenter I hope. just sort of like didn't. What would you want to say, Ben? Maybe the kids still get together. You know, every oh, year. No. You know, Ooh, have yeah. an annual hang, catch up. Do you think Carpenter let anybody into his house? If they're basically shooting yeah. in his backyard, do you think he had anyone over for dinner, or was he like, no, my castle is my castle? Um, yeah, it's a fair point. I don't, I don't know if I would certainly want to go. That feels like Carson inviting you over to the couch, right? One night Carpenter's like, Hey, I'll make you dinner. Come to one, two, three Carpenter. There, there's a quote here. I mean, Hamill met Carpenter at, uh, a Halloween party that Carpenter had at his house in the early nineties. And he said, I was struck by how easygoing he was. His house is covered in lobby cards. He grew up reading Castle of Frankenstein, famous monsters of Filmland, and I realized we were cut from exactly the same cloth. We spent half an hour talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, that's cool that Carpenter's house is all fucking monster movie memorabilia and shit. And also, like, the idea of those two having a, you know, a nerdy chat is also, it's just kind of tickling. Like, as much as we sort of worship these sort of nerd heroes now, like, you know, they, they, they both seem like pretty good guys, Carpenter and Hamill. I mean, Himmel is such a notorious dork. Like the the one of the things uh, about him is that he apparently I don't know at what point it ended, but I believe for at least the original run of David Letterman doing uh, late night pre moving to CBS, he had like every episode recorded on VHS and he still might like he was a guy who would like record it every single night. And this is after Star Wars had come out after he had done the trilogy and he's just like setting his VCR to record Letterman so he can rewatch episodes and shit. He has obviously been our number one dream guest on the George Lucas talk show forever. Of course. And our whole bit was always if we ever get Hamill, we will not bring up Star Wars once. That will be the bit. We will ask him about <laughs> anything and everything else. He can d- dictate the conversation. But we will agree that Star Wars will not be discussed once and we will not discuss the fact that we're not discussing Star Wars. Right. Do you think he'll want to talk Village of the Dam? Well, our, can I tell you what our pitch, can I tell you what our pitch has been? OK. And I don't know if it's ever gotten to him directly. I'm saying this on air because we, I want fucking people to tweet at him and see if we can get his attention with this. Um, I don't know if this is trying to mind control the listener. I, that's my hope. I don't know if this has ever gotten to him directly or it's just like his fucking publicist or manager like shutting us down. Our whole thing is, can we do a, a live stream called Hamill Barbera 
where we let Mark Hamill curate a playlist of his favorite Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and we just watch them and talk about that. I think that's lovely. Is the idea behind that just the pun, or is he a acknowledged Hanna-Barbera fan? I think he is an acknowledged Hanna-Barbera fan. The pun is good. And also, I believe maybe his first credit ever, if not, it was one of his earliest, was he was in Genie, which was the I Dream of Genie cartoon show spinoff. That was her as a teen, and he played the teen boy who discovers Genie and has some other Hanna-Barbera credits as well. So at first we were like, what if we do, we watch every episode of we're Genie. We're about Genie. And we right, have him yeah. on the whole time. We only talk about Genie. We never talk about Star Wars. And we're like, what if we do all of his Hanna-Barbera stuff? And then it became, what if we just let him pick? But it has to be about yeah, Hanna-Barbera. Whatever we you call want. it Hamill-Barbera. And we raise money for charity. I mean, that sounds good. I would watch. Yeah. I'd tune in. That's also Who came up with that pun. Was that you? I think it was me. Uh, I think it was me. Good. I mean, the idea beyond that, which I believe Connor Ratliff came up with, was if we could book uh, uh, Mark Hamill, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Shannon Purser, and Michael Sarah in the same episode, and then we do uh, Hamill Barb Sarah. Okay, box office game. Let's play the box office game, which might be interesting. April 28th, 1995, David was just turned nine years old. Humble brag. That's me, not, not David from the movie. Um, number one at the box. Well, oh, well for first, Village of the Damned opened number five. $3 million. It made eight. Uh, so, you know, eight is not very good. It costs no. 20. Um, yeah, eight but is not number enough. one at the box office is an, I would say, underrated rom-com. Hmm. One of those rom-coms that has like an objectively creepy premise. Um, but the star kind of just carries it off. From 1995. Uh, from 1995. Kind of the... She had been in a couple action movies which had launched her career. Okay. But this is her rom-com launch, I think. This is her first big rom-com. And then does she have a bit of a rom-com run after Absolutely. that? Absolutely. She's a rom-com legend. She's a rom-com legend. Huh. Uh, this is its second week at number one. It's doing great. Second week at number one, it's 1995. It has a creepy premise, but the stars make it sing. She had mostly done action movies. I, you know what? The male lead is pretty cute in this. I okay, say. but she's the one who's really mm-hmm. pulling it off. Huh. Do you have any inclination, Amy? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I know who the actress is, but I don't know what the film is. Who's, who's the, the actress? actress? Oh, uh, Sandra Bullock. Yes. Oh, it it's while Sandra you were Bullock. sleeping? It's while you were sleeping. John Turtle Tubbs. Nice teamwork. Okay. Of uh, <laughs> of uh, sort of like passive yeah. stalking <laughs> like, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I've said this so many times on the podcast, but when people say like any movie like that where they're like, the premise is actually pretty fucked up when you think about it. And I'm like, yes. yes. And that is a compliment to the movie that while you're watching it, you don't think about it. If you don't think right. about how fucked up the premise is when you're watching it because the stars are charming, then the movie is doing something right. Sandra Bullock. Bill Pullman, Peter Gallagher as the 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 guy she had a crush on who's and in I'm a coma. Looking at the billing here with Peter Gallagher's left eyebrow and Peter Gallagher's yeah. right eyebrow. Such, such rich, <laughs> rich, bushy brows. Got the width and the uh, end. I, I deserved. Um, yeah, Peter Boyle plays a character called Ox. It's a late Jack Warden film. It's a great movie. And by great, I mean, you know, pretty watchable. Fun. Yeah. Uh, number two is a cult classic, Griffin. Mm. Okay. had sequels. Um, it's sort of a, yeah, sort of a, kind of a masterpiece. <laughs> really? Kind of a great, 
Well, kind of. I mean, is it? No, but like, it's kind of a great film. It's kind of a canonical film of the 90s. Okay. It had theatrical It's a sequels. comedy. It's sort of a buddy hangout comedy. It's a very sort of low plot movie. It's had two sequels made, I think. That were both theatrical? Yes, but only oh, one of the stars oh, coming oh, back. Oh, 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 oh. I wish you hadn't given me the extra hint because I got there. It's Friday. It's Friday. Kind of, you know, a huge movie. I think right? it's been canonized. I, Amy, that is a movie you could cover on Unspooled and it wouldn't feel absurd to be discussing whether or not it belongs in a canon. No, and in fact, that's a great idea. That's a right? great it's idea. One yeah. of those, You're exactly, right. It's one of those kind of movies Unspooled covers in its way of like, yes, this would never be on the AFI list, I guess. Yeah, with those movies, I always compare it to like, well, Shane made it on. So all bets are Shane. Man. Shane sure. really yeah. does stink, though. Fucking Shane. Fucking <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's so boring. Yeah. Um, Shane. Shane. Uh, F. Gary Gray's first film, Griffin. Yeah, wild. Wild. And he follows wild. it up with, set it off, and then the negotiator. And The thing that, that's just always so wild to me is that Ice Cube wrote that. Yeah, with DJ Pooh. It's not like I forget it. But every time I think about it, I go like, wow. Bye, Felicia. Isn't there a scene of him writing that in Straight Outta Compton? Yeah. And he's like, oh, man, this script is funny. <laughs> it's literally like you see the computer screen says like Friday by Ice Cube. <laughs> and then the camera tilts over and his wife goes like, what are you doing? He's like writing this screenplay. I think people are going to laugh great. a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like giggling. It'd be funny if he was literally writing by Felicia. Like you see him <laughs> type it out. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Friday. Okay, number three at the box office, Griffin. It's a uh, major action hit. Bit of a surprise okay. hit. Another debut film from a canonical filmmaker. Uh, it has had three sequels. No, two sequels, but a third is on the way. So it's had a, a two and a three, uh, but the three was recent. So long delay. Three Between was recent, and, three. and now yeah. four is coming. I think four is being made because three was such a huge hit. Um, two major three stars, was such a huge hit. A uh, kind of a career launcher for both of them. Like one of them is one of them is more famous than the other, but the other one's about to be way more famous than the first. After this, you're saying? I would say. I mean, you know what? Maybe he's already more famous. They're both sitcom stars. They're in okay. an action movie. Okay. Uh, and and one of them's about to be, you know, one of Hollywood's biggest stars. One of them's about to be one of Hollywood's oh, biggest is it, stars. Is it Bad Boys? It's Bad oh. Boys. Because Griff, I mean, is Martin Lawrence, obviously famously Martin Lawrence's build above Will Smith yeah. in Bad Boys. Is he more famous though? But yeah, Because Fresh yes. Prince is a big deal, but Martin is sort of, Martin is a slightly bigger brand. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, Bad Boys. A movie, uh, of course, written for John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. <laughs> the, the, the baddest boys of all. <laughs> it's just what, like, they hosted the MTV Movie Awards together, or they did, like, a fucking parody skit sure. on the show or whatever, and Hollywood was like, we gotta fucking bottle this. These guys, not playing characters, using their default personas, need to have an action comedy built around them, and they write this whole script and then they were like, Jesus Christ, Lovitz is such a pain in the ass. Is this fucking worth it? What if we just get two people who aren't going to drive us crazy? Like, that was actually the evolution of the thing, was they designed it for them. Carvey was kind of, like, getting, you know, increasingly reluctant about being a star. And they were like, Lovitz is so fucking high maintenance. 
what if we get two guys who are actually going to want to work and show up and do their days? Um, well, they picked well, I guess. Do you think yeah. Lovitz ever regrets it in the middle of the night? I mean, imagine a, a Bad Boys with Lovitz and Carvey where they made a third one this year. They're, they're back. <laughs> you know, like, you yeah. Know. I can't imagine either one of them running. No. <laughs> it's tough to imagine either one of them walking faster than a, a jog. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. A they're at the jog. mall, maybe catching up to like shoplifting speed walkers. What's well, also funny because it's like they were both entrapped in paradise, right? Which is written and directed by George Gallo, who then wrote the original draft of Bad Boys for them. Like that was the idea. They play like fucking goofus and gallant in Entrapped in, in Paradise. Like there's no part of you that goes like, put these guys in leather jackets, give them <laughs> right. sidearms, and have them run. And then if you try to imagine like they would have been in the Gallo version of the movie, but imagining them in a Bay version of the movie is it's a really fun mind game. And then we never get the giant Will Smith because he doesn't do Independence Day. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, is that Roland Emmerich? I always get them confused in the 90s. It is Roland Emmerich, but still, maybe he doesn't get it because no Bad Boys. I I don't, don't, right. He doesn't get Independence Day if he's not in Bad Boys. And if Independence Day doesn't star Will Smith, I think it doesn't work. Maybe not. Look, look, is this a better world? We don't know. I don't know. It might be. Um, Number four at the box office is a a rip snorting costume drama. Uh, sort of a uh, a war war movie set set up in uh, Scotland, Bonnie Scotland. Oh, in the 18th Rob century. Roy. A Braveheart it is Braveheart. It's Rob Roy Griffin. Oh, you no. were right the first right. time. You wow. were right. Uh, but that's the same year, right? They are the same year. It speaks to how you know people had a real hard on for Scottish warriors, right? Right yeah. then, Braveheart comes out. To a month later, a month. Wow. And yeah, Rob Roy was like, that was the odds on favorite. And sure. Braveheart was seen as a a folly, I think. Right. And and Rob Roy outgrossed Braveheart. No. At least originally. Originally. It didn't. It didn't outgross Braveheart because it didn't do that well. But what you are implying, I think, is that Braveheart didn't actually do amazing. It didn't. I know. It It did. okay. You know, like uh, Rob Roy made. $30 $30 million okay. the box up and then Braveheart made 75 Worldwide but or domestic? Domestic. But, you know, maybe that oh, wow. was partly a uh, yeah. re-release situation after the Oscars or something. I don't know. I was going to say, I think it also played for like a full year. Like it wins Best Picture a year later. But like, you know, uh, back it did in not the day, do great when it came out. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know. Do you like Rob Roy? Have you ever seen Rob Roy, Amy? Never seen Rob Roy. Anyone I've ever seen, seen Rob Roy? Both of those in my living room. My mom was like really into Scottish folk dancing. So I know that mm. those were both rented from Blockbuster. Um, and I know that she took great issue with the historical inaccuracies in both mm. of them. Yes, Bra- Bra- so, Braveheart reviews, is, is wildly inaccurate. I do not remember if Rob Roy is inaccurate. I do remember that Tim Roth is the villain and he was Oscar nominated and he has a great sword fight with Liam Neeson at the end. That's all I really remember. Jessica Lang is the love interest. I remember my family had a gateway computer. We probably bought hey, it like a year or two. Cow Prince. Humble brag. Absolutely. And it had uh, preloaded onto it like three QuickTime videos. And one of them was the Rob Roy trailer. I think it was like <laughs> to show you, look at how amazing this video. The was. majesty of Scotland right. and can I be contained the, in this gateway. <laughs> the Rob Roy trailer, the Buddy Holly music video. And I can't remember what the third was. But I remember being like, well, I'll watch this Buddy Holly music video 8,000 times. I'll never watch the Rob Roy trailer again. 
By Buddy Holly, no, you mean Weezer, the Weezer Buddy song. Holly music yes. video? Yes. 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 I it also, was the Weezer. Griff was preloaded. I also had yes. that. I bought some Windows computer that had the Weezer right. song. Right. Maybe it was, it. It, was a, it was a it, it was a Windows thing. thing. It wasn't a gateway thing. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know why that was picked as the thing, but it was. Uh some other uh, of course number five is is um you know uh Village of the Damned. Some other movies at the top of the box office Griffin. A goofy movie, number six. Yeah, I mean, now fucking the most canonized film in America. Right. Kids act like it's a you know, Citizen Kane level masterpiece. I remember it being okay. Kiss of Death. I think it's good. But yeah, it's, it's reputation is odd. Kiss of Death is odd. The Barbette Schroeder. Yeah. Cage, uh, Caruso, yeah. Sam Jackson. Never seen. Yeah. Uh, you've never seen that? No. That's a pretty good movie with a really interesting Cage performance. Caruso's maybe the weak link of it. Um, this is also got Russo's bad leading man phase. Yeah. Don Juan DeMarco, the sort of Johnny Depp breakout movie with Marlon Brando and Faye Dunaway. What if people wanted to fuck Johnny Depp? <laughs> that was the what if in that movie. Uh, you've got Circle of Friends. One of those movies when I was a kid where I was like, is this like the most boring movie ever made? Mm-hmm. It's, is it just the posters? Just Chris O'Donnell and Minnie Driver like holding hands. Do you remember that? No? Does anyone know what I'm yeah. talking about? Okay, yeah. and then the other movie, Top Dog, a Chuck Norris buddy movie with a dog. Nice. Has wow. anyone ever heard of this? No. No, but I'm interested. I'm going to read you the, 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 the tagline. The poster is uh, Chuck Norris has a gun, and then there's a dog wearing a police hat. And the poster's <laughs> tagline is, one's tough, one's smart. I guess the implication being like Chuck Norris is <laughs> fucking dumb. <laughs> but don't worry, this toggle handle the brain side of the police work. It was Chuck Norris's last theatrical film. Yeah. It's directed by his brother, Aaron Norris. And the Wikipedia here says the film received mainly negative reviews and its box office was negatively impacted by the timing of its release only nine days after the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City bombing. I don't know if that's why yeah. Top Dog bombed. I just want to say. I don't think you can lay the blame. That's a very convenient excuse. I'm going to yeah. go on a limb and say that the dog bombed the Oklahoma City building just Absolutely. so they'd have a reason to why his big starring role flopped. <laughs> yeah, like you can't, what I'm going to say to Chuck Norris, Top Dog, and he's like, yeah, well, I mean, that thing would have crushed if it wasn't for the damn Oklahoma City <laughs> bombing. Because the film's plot deals with terrorism, the poor timing of the film's release was noted in multiple reviews and articles. Once again, I think that's an easy <laughs> passing of the plot. Here's the other I, thing, people. Here's also on the Wikipedia. The film was criticized for being too similar to K-9 and Turner and Hooch. Yes, sure, it sure sounds like Chuck Norris was like, I should just do one of those. Yet six years later, K-9 and Turner and Hooch both come out in 89. <laughs> 89 he waited right. six years, 95. He called up his brother in the middle of the night and went, we have to do the dog movie <laughs> now. I mean, listen, I went to college in Oklahoma and I never heard anybody once say that they were traumatized by the too soon release of Top Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the theater and man, I just couldn't deal with that movie. All the time. How dare he? <laughs> How dare he? I don't know. I am reading. I will say I'm reading the plot description of this movie. It does sound like it's very intense. There's the Ku it's Klux about white nationalists, like, yeah. yeah, like all Aryan kinds of, nations, Church uh, of the Creator. I don't know. I hope Chuck and uh, the dog get get as as get the neo Nazi hitmen are practicing for their attack. The leaders are revealed to not be just one white supremacist group, but an alliance of several. 
including the Ku Klux Klan, the Aryan Nations, and the Church of the Creator. This movie's about like a Voltron of fucking fascists who only can be stopped by the top dog. Uh, what yeah, kind of dog but... are we talking? Is it like a German Shepherd? No, he looks like a kind of shaggy dog. I don't know, Greg. Yeah. What really? are you in here? Yeah. He's a shaggy he's Reno. dog. Yeah, what kind of dog is it? It's a mutt. We're trusting a mutt with this, or is a mutt exactly the thing that the Aryan Nation would get mad at? I, like the only Amy, kind of dog, like a like a German Shepherd would be like embraced by the. By all the I'm going to say is that Reno attacks the neo Nazi leader. Like so, what you that know, dog doesn't look scary at all. He doesn't. That dog well, looks like Chewbacca. No, but he's funny looking. Oh, come on, he's got like a beard almost looking kind of like fur. Its hair is too long. I the mean, whole that dog can't here. see. There's like hair in its face. <laughs> you're like, you're like, yeah, cut your hair, hippie. You're you're in the <laughs> LAPD for crying out loud. I just I'm looking at the voodoo bio, like summary plot summary. Okay, because I this wording. Maverick cop Jake Wilder, Chuck Norris, is convinced his career has gone to the dogs <laughs> uh-huh. when he meets his new partner, a mischievous, high IQ canine named Reno. So it's not just like a joke about him being dumb. The, the idea is that this dog's supposed to be especially intelligent. <laughs> this is a high IQ dog. And then are you ready for just the quickest fucking like pin turn of all time? His career's gone to the dogs when he meets his new partner, a mischievous high IQ canine named Reno. But when a brutal white supremacist plot is uncovered. <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot. The what? He's got to deal with it. He's got to take care marks, of it. The, the rubber you just burned on the road doing that fucking U-turn. One's tough, one's smart. But when a brutal okay. white supremacist plot. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I just found uh, Reno on the IMDb page, which took mm, a little sure. bit of time. I was like wondering who the dog was who played yeah. Reno, and it was listed under uncredited. Uh, but <laughs> Reno want to be is actually... <laughs> is Bingo? <laughs> Reno is actually named Betty. Oh. And uh, Betty had one other starring role in the Dennis the Menace movie two years earlier. Good movie. Oh, my gosh. Nick Castle. Hello. Bringing it all around. Nick Castle, who um, plays worked on Halloween, who plays. Yeah. yeah. Who plays Michael Myers in the original Halloween directed, directed the Dennis, Dennis the Menace Mass movie. Movies. So we're bringing this all full back. Full circle. Which is what Ben wishes this film had been. Yes, absolutely. Right. These kids are menaces. Yeah. I also just sent a picture. Of the dog in disguise as a lady with the fruit hat. Oh, okay. That's the photo I was responding to. I was yes, confused that's, by that. That's Thank the you, Dennis ben. the Menace. There you go. Thank you. Um, but let's just say conclusively, and I believe this has been discussed before, Nick Castle's Dennis the Menace is scarier than John Carpenter's Village of the Dam. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Christopher yeah. Lloyd alone. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd alone. There's nothing in this movie that is spookier than Christopher Lloyd. Uh, that's no. a reboot. That's, fair. that's a fucking reboot right there. But just about that Get character. Dennis back. Oh, geez. so what you're saying is you want to swip, you want to swap directors and see John Carpenter's Dennis the Menace and Nick Castle's Village of the Damned. Yeah, correct. I think that's what I want to see. Um, Amy, you roll. I'm sorry it took five years to get you back on the show. We'll have you on Aww. again sooner. Yeah, no, I yeah. can't wait. 2026, baby, I'll be here. No, sooner. <laughs> Two. <laughs> All right, well, make sure the movie is as 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 intellectually complicated and sophisticated as this one, please. Look, you got memento last time. You got a big one last time. I know. I yeah. No, no, you'll do you'll do a good whale. one. Do, I have some good ones. They'll do a good one. I don't know if I yeah. want to do a good one. This has been great. 
Well, Fine, then maybe we'll give one. you a real stick. All I yeah. do is talk about good movies. I'm like the inverse of Paul. Let me talk about these. So let's let's confirm then. Amy Nicholson will be our guest on Top Dog as part of our Aaron <laughs> Norris series coming in 2036. If you do a series on movies with dogs, which actually is an idea that now we should do for Unspooled. Ooh. Uh, yes, I commit. Uh, fantastic. Um, and people should listen to Unspooled. They can. Obviously. They, not they can, they should. Yeah. They must. They must. They must. Um, and thank you all for listening to this show. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Lane Montgomery, great American novel for our theme song, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Online. Their new album is out wherever you get albums. Uh, JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research. Alex Barron and AJ McKeon for our editing Chubbo and Pat rounds for our artwork. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. And you can go to patreon.com slash blank check where now I believe officially Santa Claus has come to town, right? Or is about to. Uh, yeah, I always should. I should have this uh, loaded up it, uh, about. No, we still got a couple of weeks till Santa Claus comes to town. OK, so uh, yeah, Santa, Cla soon. Santa Claus will be coming to town at the end of November. Of course, we're talking Tim Claus's Santa Claus trilogy. Tim Allen's not Tim Claus. But in a few days, we have an episode coming out and it's do we know if it was the Scorpion King or if it was body bags? What's the. Final result. What? Should we look at the final result? Here? It, yeah. Well, the problem here, Griffin, is, and yeah. I, I can go look, um, but like Scorpion King seemed to be winning, but everyone in the comments was like, why is Scorpion King winning? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Scorpion King. Yeah, Scorpion King won by a healthy 58 to 42 margin, but maybe we just do body bags anyway. I don't know. Maybe we disregard it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Something's yeah. coming out in the Something's going to happen. Tune in for that. Yeah, maybe we do get... two Top Dog now for this maybe one. Maybe we do Top Dog. Yeah, maybe we do it, Top Dog. Were there any Top Dog sequels? No, Griffin. There, there were not. There, th there are three K9 movies. We could do K9. Yeah, no. let's do K9. K911? I don't know. Well, that was the episode. Uh, <laughs> tune in uh, next week on this feed, of course, for Escape from L.A. Pliskin's back, baby! And, as always... Kirstie Alley should have had a monkey lighting her cigars. Yes, her big giant cigars. <laughs>